Hello, and once again, welcome to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. This is episode 80 with your host, not as always, this is Roddy, and today I'm joined by the usual host, Alan, Vicky, and Keith. And we are here today to talk about February 5th, The title, all the titles released on February 5th. Um, so yeah, um, spoilers are plenty as we are... That's just getting it so in there. professional. <laughs> so professional. So obviously a lot of spoilers. We're going to cover a lot of ground here. So yeah, how's your week been, guys? Can't complain. Uh, good wee week. I mean, first of all, I should just throw up that the uh, the releases this week were slightly truncated due to uh, shipping delays for some of the indie stuff. So we won't be talking about a lot of indie books. So I thought I'd let Roddy, you know, host this podcast, you know, to make up for his lack of being able to talk about <laughs> indie books. Yeah, I had... I think Vicky and I were the ones that suffered this week. Yeah, uh, I think I missed out a couple as well. I was a bit, there was a couple, so I was a bit short this week. So. Yeah, I took a hit with a uh, with a, a Buffy book. I had very little hit yeah, to be honest, because a lot of the stuff that was coming out, certainly stuff that you look forward to, for example, such as Gideon Falls, I would trade read, yeah, that kind of thing. So, but it will be a slightly bigger week this week when it comes to twelfth of February releases, as those ones do come out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of that, good week. We uh, we were fortunate enough, uh, due to the kind folks at Movie House, to be given some tickets to go see Birds of Prey. Um, Keith, unfortunately, couldn't make it. Uh, but myself, Roddy, and Vicky were there. I have to say, very pleasant surprise. Did not expect to enjoy it that much, personally. Um, I don't know what everyone else's expectations were, but I thought it was... I really enjoyed it. Um, it was something that you can just go enjoy and just sort of have a bit of fun with it. And it wasn't, it didn't take itself too seriously, which is what you want, I think. And it was, it was nice to sort of, it's always nice when you get free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so your opinion on the movie is somewhat, you know, uh, down to how much you have to pay to get in to see it. No, but it's always nice when you get something for free. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I really enjoyed it. Like, sort of came out of nowhere, like, kind of surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I'd say it's maybe DC's sort of Deadpool. Is that sort of right to say? If ever if, Keith was already not looking yeah. forward to this movie, <laughs> you've put him off it even further. But it's definitely, it was very stylish, definitely fourth wall breaking, um, really good villain. Lot really good villain. Yeah, really thought it was, it was astounding the music was really good too and it was uh unlike suicide squad where it was just like the most obvious music just thrown at you um <laughs> i really enjoyed their soundtrack on this one and it was pretty brisk as well it was about an hour and 40 minutes too yeah. which i i'm always a fan of that i do like it as well when there's real locations used a lot you know there's very minimal green screen it was real locations there was lots of stuff yeah. shot on the streets uh, as well so yeah very pleasant surprise for me uh, I didn't have expectations after Suicide Squad because I'm not a fan uh, I was slightly concerned though when we left and Roddy said it was better than Batman v Superman we may have had to throw down for a while oh, <laughs> after that but uh, can we please not go on this again so just in case you guys <laughs> no, are curious Batman no. v Superman three part drunken Alan commentary available on the podcast network this is finally admitting that he's drunk from the archives yeah <laughs> from the archives and, uh, and that wasn't uh, that wasn't yesterday because today marks our 80th, 80th. recording yes. it does you know it's been uh, it's been quite the journey to this point you know it's uh, 
it sort of started with me just sitting around a mic chatting about stuff lucky enough to get good people on to chat about it you assembled we a team went through a few lineup changes you know but eventually was able to you know you know utter the words avengers assemble you know but <laughs> uh no people seem to be digging what we're doing so we 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 enjoy doing them and we're looking forward to getting to triple digits you know not be far away um so yeah uh how about yourself keith how was your week given that you were Unfortunately, absent from Birds of Prey. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's one that I think as we talk, I'm not, I wasn't terribly, uh, uh, again, did not like Suicide Squad at all. Do not like, for the most part, Harley Quinn as a character outside of the animated series. Um, so I'll catch it eventually, but it's really nice that Movie House have uh, stepped up again and uh, and uh, provided those those, those uh, keep those coming press tickets for for, <laughs> for us as a podcaster so yeah it was uh, very nice so yeah no i had a, had a had a pretty pretty good week uh nothing nothing too outstanding fairly busy at work uh bruno was here um for for a week so that was nice um and i believe a very pivotal moment in your relationship took place this week ah uh, yes yes i uh you know much like much like you last week finally convincing vicky to read some uh some dc books I finally convinced Bruna to watch Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> so, uh, Oh, I was talking about something else. Oh, really? Okay. You actually gave up issues out of your collection, allowed them to leave your person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Begrudgingly, I understand they were slightly being you know, held on to as you handed them over. She yeah, left it was with a, yeah. Middle West, I yeah, believe. Yeah, I think that, was, that, that, that moment was more about me uh, than, <laughs> than about a relationship. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, so, so Bruna was able to take a few of... Uh, the single issues of Middle West that she's been enjoying. Um, uh, it's got a young and Jorge Corona, isn't it? Um, it's, it's a good book. It's a great book. So she's been enjoying it, and That's good. Uh, she's been trunk. Her her reading has been uh, impaired by the fact she has only been able to read it whenever she's been here to see me. So uh, I was like, okay, you can you can t you can take these with you. <laughs> Just don't let the kids know them. <laughs> Put the, make sure you put down that sellotape when you take them out of the bag and board. Do not leave it sitting there. No open containers around the comics either, please. Like, no the, like, the, like the rules for gremlins, you know, <laughs> for Mogwai whenever you take them home. Uh, yeah, you were mentioning that uh, Vicky read a Batman title at long last. It only took me eight years. It did, and I finished yesterday um, Batman White Knight. And Sean White Gordon oh, Murphy's lovely. Magnum Opus. Um, my first... Well, no, not my first Batman book because I did actually read Batman Year One. You read Year One some some years ago. I tried to get you to read Court of Owls, just wasn't for you. I, no, not Court of Owls. It was um, Death of the Family. I think you tried to get me on. Oh, okay. Because um, I did read Talon, so so yeah, I have read DC. I read Talon, so um, it was a <laughs> so good there. Thing. So memorable <laughs> that you just remembered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what were your thoughts on White Knight? I really enjoyed it. It was good fun. It was nice to see um, like. Joker and a different character and not all sort of that insane crazy guy that he always is it was just it was good to sort of see him trying to be a bit more sort of sensible and can you really say normal in a sense of the word like well essentially yeah the pills he takes in order to make himself normal but he still has that genius intellect he still has that desire to show Gotham that you know they don't need Batman and all this kind of stuff um, what was interesting about it was you had finished it and then you would left it sitting beside the bed and then I think we were going to bed a couple of nights ago and you had went in to use the shower before 
going to bed and I just saw the White Knight sitting there and despite the fact I have 2001 things to read, I picked it up and opened the page. And, and you haven't finished Bone yet. Shh, we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> and I started reading through it and I read the first issue and I genuinely forgot just how bloody good that series yeah, is. I mean, I love, the, I love the connections to the, you know, the original Batman movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, that whole Jack Napier thing and those... There was that, that scene, I think it was in the Joker's cell, wasn't it? Where, yeah. you know, there's a whole lot of callbacks to animated the Batman series and, and, and the animated the series. And yeah, exactly. Brilliant, brilliant book, though. Uh, and I will be reading through that again, hopefully, next day or two. But before that, I should probably finish Bone, given that, you know, when I have to give updates on how I'm getting on the book, you know, it's big. Uh, <laughs> but it is big. It is. Uh, but yeah, I got through another 240 pages of that. So I think I've just the equivalent of three graphics left. Although Keith kindly informed me there are a couple of one-shots as well to mm. certainly procure or borrow of him, hopefully, once I've finished it. Thoroughly, thoroughly wonderful book. Uh, it, it really is a page-turner. just keeps you going. So looking forward to finishing that. Still got a few copies of that left in the store. Well, yeah, we're down to uh, one or two of them. It's uh, the They released the great... The edition I have, certainly, and I know you've got this edition as well, Keith, is this one that they've done in black and white. And it sort of comes in around the £40 mark compared to... Didn't we see a colour one that was something like 130 or 140? Bone was originally released um, in black and white and was later colourised whenever Scholastic mm -hmm. uh, sort of picked it up. And I've never read the colourised yeah. version, no. Um, it would be really interesting. It suits black and white, though. Yeah, the way The yeah. Walking Dead does, you know what I mean? Yeah. It creates a certain mood, and I think you're used to it after a while. You obviously have this lovely coloured cover, which is a panel out of the book with those stupid, stupid rat creatures mm -hmm. uh, surrounding uh, the main characters. But I, I think I prefer them black and white. I'm not not yeah. too curious about searching yeah. it. But I'm looking forward to giving it another read myself, I have to say, once I have the time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to finishing that. Uh, Roddy finally read Vampire State Building. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so freaking good. Um, what an enjoyable book. Um, yeah, Die Hard with vampires, vampires. <laughs> amazing. Um, I see what you mean about them leaving it just slightly open just for slightly, a little the, bit more, the, the but door slightly ajar. But I'd be um, happy if it finished there, although I wasn't happy when I was reading it because <laughs> I was really enjoying it. That's it. I'm making my way into uh criminal now, so that that uh omnibus edition you lent me. So is that the one that I had? Yeah, yeah, uh, you're, that's something to look forward to. So, yeah. and, uh, Brie Baker and Sean Phillips, so yeah, and that's Dream a team, team, a team that will be uh releasing, isn't it? Pulp. Is it next month? Yeah, there's a sort of a Western set one that they're doing. Looks that uh, way. I'm really shot. looking forward to that. But it is not within the... Not within the criminal, criminal universe. No, it's just a one-shot It's thing. sort of like uh, My Heroes Were Always Junkies. Um, although Bad Weekend, the one they released as part of Criminal. But mm -hmm. Pardon me. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, anything those guys do I've, always has my attention. There's a couple of great series, one called Fade Out and one called Fatal. Highly recommend as well. Uh, a couple so of... Sorry, go ahead. So I was going to say, there's um, three nice deluxe books behind you, ready and waiting for you once you've read the... I'll just grab them here. <laughs> Le leave my Why the Last Man's Alone. No, definitely. Well, that is something... Same writer. <laughs> same writer, but um, no, it's definitely Saga, which is something I definitely... Like, I know I've managed to get Keith get reading it quite quickly and a few others, and it's one that we can then share with you. It's next. It's next. It's a gap. Definitely like a big gap in my sort of comic book knowledge is Saga. Um, Brian, just Brian K. Vaughan stuff in general, I think, is just good stuff. Like that, Why the Last Man. So I know yeah. there's a lot more out there that he's done that I haven't read. Baghdad, you recently Baghdad, read. Yeah, so um, there's a lot more out there that I, I want to catch up on his stuff because mm -hmm. obviously 
you do follow creators like so it's, he's one of the writers that I would follow so uh, yeah and then just one or two other quick things just to sort of chat about quickly uh, we saw that I don't think the it's been completely confirmed, but there's a lot of rumours Sam Raimi possibly to take over from Scott Derrickson. Interesting. Doctor Strange 2. Uh, the clamour to get Tobey Maguire into the MCU is uh, <laughs> intensifying. Uh, but he would certainly suit that sort of dark horror tinge. Yeah, I mean, if they're, if they're talking about wanting to go down the, you know, down that horror direction and that potentially being the reason that, that Derrickson was off it... Um, you know that that's a really good choice. Yeah, it's a really good choice. I mean, his 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 bread and butter uh, was 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 that sort of horror. You know, with the Evil Dead movies and such. You know, yeah. So. He come in Spider Man Two, especially it combines the horror elements with. Um, is it when Doc Ock sort of breaks free yeah. and breaks oh, out? Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. pure Sam Raimi. So, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one because they. If rumors are to be believed, they took Derrickson off because it was too horror-y. So I don't know if he didn't really fit the bill. So, um, but Sam Raimi, I love. So I can't wait to see what mm. happens. And I mean, an excuse <laughs> to get Bruce Campbell in as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Need that Bruce Campbell cameo. <laughs> uh, and then just one other thing, just to finish off with, there were a couple of announcements <laughs> during the week regarding some free comic book day titles. Free comic book day is always a great time of the year. It rewards long term readers. It encourages you maybe to try some new titles and stuff like that but what it also does is dc and marvel always launch a big book or like a almost like a prelude to a big book uh on free comic book day uh so this year dc are doing uh, a large one which is called generation zero um so just a little bit of a, a blurb on it. The march towards DC's future begins with Generation Zero. This 32-page issue features a stunning cover by Francis Manipal and features key stories involving Wally West and Wonder Woman. Uh, new and long-term fans can't afford to miss Generation Zero. This book lays the foundation for even more seismic-level changes in the DC universe. Not that I personally think they need to make changes, but apparently it all starts here and everything counts. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, and Marvel, not to be outdone, <laughs> have announced two books rather than one. Uh, they have one that's very much focusing on the X-Men side of the Marvel Universe and one that is focusing on Amazing Spider-Man and Venom. I don't know if you remember last free comic book day, they laid the foundations for Absolute Carnage. That's right, yeah. Uh, which was, I personally think, one of the best events of recent times. I thought it was pretty damn wonderful. I think Keith definitely remembers last free comic book day. <laughs> Why would that be, Keith? <laughs> Because it was a busy day as I was manning this door. Always enjoy the story of Keith getting down there a little early, a little fuzzy-headed, just not long woken up, turns the corner, queue outside. God damn it. <laughs> so, having to beat them out the door. To beat them back. Get them self-sorted. But uh, yeah, the X-Men title is going to feature a brand new X-Men story by Hickman and Pepe Larraz, so House of X team, mm -hmm. that will lead into a game-changing summer for all of X. And there's also going to be a second story in that one, which will foreshadow an upcoming epic tale by Tom Taylor and Iban Coelho. And that's May. That is always the first Saturday in May for Free Comic Book Day. We'll definitely throw a few more details and bits and pieces out there leading up to it. And then just to throw in with the Spider-Man Venom one as well, this will provide two exciting tales connected to the coming major storylines in Venom, Amazing Spider-Man and Black Cat from top creators Donny Cates, Stegman, Rand Stegman, and Patrick Gleason and more. So yeah, some good stuff to look forward to on Free Comic Book Day there. We'll certainly put out more um, information through our social media channels as, as we lead up to the time that that hits. 
Um, Lock and Key arrived on Netflix. It did, and yeah. I think we've all watched episode one. Yeah, uh huh. I've yeah. watched episode two along with Vicky as well. Uh, it was very good. I enjoyed it. After episode one, I'll be honest, I'm a big Lock and Key fan when it comes to the books, so I actually may have turned to Vicky after the first episode saying it, it slightly annoyed me because uh, they've changed a few things. I understand it's a different medium. You're There's probably more people that will see the show than read the books, I suppose, mm-hmm. but it changed a few things I didn't think necessary, but by the end of episode two, I think the direction it's going in is settled and I'm, I'm happy with where it's going. So. But- didn't you say Joe Hill was actually working on it? On yeah, the, so. oh, absolutely. But the thing with Lock and Key is it's had a very um, complicated history trying to get made into a TV show. This is now the third time they filmed a full pilot for it. The first two it just didn't get picked up for whatever reason. But this is the first one that did. But no, by the end of episode two, I'm, I'm digging it. Probably watch an episode or two tonight, I would imagine. Deeply so. It's good to hear because I've, I think I find it with birds of prey as well because i didn't have an affinity with the source material i could almost just not not switch yeah. off but that critical sort of element of of my mind wasn't engaged you know it was just like i can just enjoy it you know i don't have to be like oh that's they've tied this part in really well yeah so it was nice to have that freedom but i think i'm definitely going to read locking key at some point mm, i think so <laughs> i think so too i mean it's i thought the concept was was great um uh, it did have a wee bit of a teeny boppery thing going on, uh, certainly <laughs> in the first episode. <laughs> did make uh, me laugh when the message come through. Yeah. It's a bit teener boppery, but yeah. No, but the, I mean, the 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 cast seemed to be well chosen. There was the first episode was a wee bit clumsy, but uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It had a lot of world building yeah. to do in one episode, so uh, it did. that's yeah, the other maybe. thing. I mean, Lock and Key itself. There's things that happen in episode one that they they take twelve issues to get you to and things like that. But I suppose with the comic medium, you maybe have a bit more time to tell your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with TV, people are always looking for immediate answers sometimes. So yeah, um, yeah. just look look at Preacher, for instance. It took him enough a whole season for um, him Jesse for to show his actual powers yeah. and stuff. So so I suppose I it can go both ways. Yeah. So just what Preacher's on season four now. Uh, yeah, it's finished now. So um, you can only hope. The hilarious thing is, though, that in the book that uh, the lock, the the head of the lock household, shall we say, the dad, is this country bumpkin with a dodgy moustache and overweight and all the rest. They make it for TV and suddenly he's this really good-looking, athletic <laughs> Keanu Reeves lookalike. And I'm thinking, hmm. But the kids are cast really well, actually, based on the characters in the book, so... And the uh, the uncle immediately sort of went, oh, there's your 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 guy Ashmore that played uh, played Iceman and in, in the X Men, but of course it's not. It's his twin brother Aaron, oh, who is it? was in oh, uh, some other stuff. Um, oh God, it, it eludes me. Um, I can't remember. They made a they made a wee sly sideways reference to it, uh, so they did. But anyway, it was it was enjoyable. I'm looking forward to watching a couple more episodes and seeing how it pans out. Did episode one have the uh, the uncle? "Quote unquote," waving goodbye to the house. Yes, that was actually quite funny. Yeah, it was very I did funny, like yeah. that. There's nothing funnier than teaching kids, you know, swear language or <laughs> swear signs uh, in an inadvertent way. So, um, watched uh, watched the third episode of Picard as well. That is that's that's going nicely. Yeah, it's going very very nicely. Uh, some really good wee callbacks in there. Um, yeah, good stuff. Awesome. Already renewed for season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Picard, so plenty to look forward to there. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, unless there's anything else anyone wants to fire in there, I think that's us with news and bits and pieces. Talk some comics. Let's talk some comics indeed. Yeah. And 
despite the slightly uh, reduced uh, shipping, um, the amount of titles shipped this week, it was still a pretty stellar week. Uh, we've got our traditional format where we'll go through the... Sorry, why am I saying all this? You're supposed to be the host this time, Roddy. Hold on, I'm going to step the away introductory from the mic. man, that's what I was. I'm going to step away from the mic here. <laughs> Roddy's, Roddy's a hype man, as they, yeah. as they say in there. <laughs> okay, he's got us all going then. He's got us all going. No, no, it's over. It's up to you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to do our traditional format. We'll each pick out a book that we thought was our favourite of the week. Uh, then we'll go through some honourable mentions. Uh, some of the honourable mentions may even cross over. Uh, we might do it this week sort of by publisher, just the, the best that stood out. As I was saying before, it's a bit of a lower uh, key week for indie titles, but some great DC Marvel stuff. Uh, and it was just due, due to uh, shipping error, wasn't it? With yeah, Diamond, it, was, it wasn't. Essentially, the, there was a large creative stock that never came over to these shores. So it wasn't just to our store, it was the whole of the UK. Yep. Um, yeah. So these titles will come out uh, uh, with this week's. Uh, releasing so i guess if we have any worldwide listeners they will have already been yeah. ahead of us so yeah if you read gideon falls then that's disappointing. jealous <laughs> no, no spoilers for roddy uh how did your pull lists look this week with regard yeah. to so pull lists for me i believe i had uh thir- 14 books in total so pretty even split 60c six marvel and then i had two indie books uh, I think you were closest to me then, Keith. Yeah, I was sitting with uh, 13 books in the pull list, but it wasn't really an even split. It was a big Marvel week for me this week. No. Uh, nine Marvel, three DC, and one indie. And how about yourself, Roddy? Uh, pretty threadbare, to be honest. I had four. Um, one indie, one Marvel, and DC, one I know. 50% of yeah. your pull list this week was DC. I'm be, impressed. And what a wee black thinking? label in there. Um, I had five I had one indie and four Marvel yes zero DC yeah we'll get you there we'll get you there hey I'm I'm getting there I know I know I I read um, Batman last night okay exactly I've got Harley next to the bed so Harley what a book sorry I should have said I had 15 books then (laughs) I had six DC six Marvel two and then one graphic because I uh, yeah the Harley graphic came straight home with me as well so it did. Uh, but in terms of having to pick out uh, my favourite title of the week, despite my you know preference for DC, I do read a lot of Marvel these days, and it was definitely a Marvel title that stood out the most for me this week. Uh, I we do sometimes think you know we don't always want to be recommending the same stuff, but there are certain titles you just you can't get away from the absolute quality of them. So for me, the uh, the best title this week was Daredevil number 17, uh, written by Chip Zdarsky, a name we're all familiar with. Uh, art is by Jorge Fornes, uh, who is actually an artist that Tom King discovered on Instagram. Uh, he sort of plucked him out as having seen his portfolio and got him to work on a Batman book. And I think if you're going to work Batman, you can work Daredevil. Obviously, the <laughs> characters are quite similar. The way they set up Hell's Kitchen is very like Gotham. It's very street-level sort of stuff when uh, Fornes has done Batman. But I should throw a little bit of love out as well for Nolan Woodward, who is the colorist on Daredevil. So Daredevil's long been one of our favorite titles, I think it's uh, safe to say. This is an, a story arc that is now on part seven called Through Hell. Now, there is sometimes a little bit of a concern when you're seven parts into a story. It could be dragging on or it could be a bit long or maybe lots of filler issues. But I think that this title is just getting better and better. Great, yeah, absolutely. Uh, month to month. Uh, the writing continues to be both exciting and but also powerful as well. I mean, I 
I don't think we can emphasize enough how often we say, like, Sadarsky, we always associate as being a funny, humorous guy. But his level of writing, when he goes in depth and the serious issues and all the rest, he's he's up there with the best. Uh, and as I was saying, Fornes' art is just stellar. Reminds me very much of David Mazzuccelli when he did uh, he did Batman Year One, but he also did it was Daredevil Born Again, I want to say, for Mazzuccelli yeah, or Frank Miller. Um, so same team as Batman yeah. Year One. This uh, this I mean Zdarsky's uh, run since the start has really kicked off with. Uh, it was initially. You know, Daredevil having having gone too far and 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 killed a guy, yeah, killed a killed a punk during during a a, a, a con- confrontation, and uh, it it sort of went from there with Matt sharing sharing the Daredevil persona. Yeah, you know, you had uh, that really great issue with Spider Man confronting mm, him, and yeah. Matt didn't even put up a fight. He just went, "You're right." Yeah. You know, I need to hang yeah. it up. And I mean, we're still there. We're still there. We, I mean, we've just, we've established the the wares and why fours of of that particular situation. We've had. Uh, and then we've now got the the Stormwinds involved. This, yeah. this family, great characters, uber rich family, weird brother sister act. Um, definitely a wee bit wee bit strange. And uh, they're they're <laughs> uber rich. They're, they're they've had their run-ins with Kingpin, but they're also they're they're it's really standard stuff. What they're doing is they've removed the police from Hell's Kitchen, uh, so crime rate obviously rises. Crime rate rises. You know, businesses start to shut down. Uh, people start to move away, and effectively, property it's, becomes it's, rock bottom. Yeah, exactly, they buy the property and then they gentrify it. So pretty much exactly what's happened in the center of Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't take long for Keith to get political. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's great. I think that you know that's exactly what they're what they're what they're doing. Well, the Strowmans are really interesting characters as well because although it is, as you say, maybe a slightly generic idea of you know run an area down, buy it, build it up, they're not they're not really straightforward bad guys because they don't care if you're a good guy like Daredevil or essentially a bad guy despite how much he's trying to change his colors and Wilson Fisk they're not afraid of good guys or bad guys they just are interested in power yeah. and money they're and neoliberal pricks <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh dear anyway I'm going to move away from that and just focus on possibly one of the best opening scenes of any book uh, I've read I know we're early in the year but this is this is an early contender genuinely for me for this, issue of the year this got me this was brilliant on this opening scene so as as Keith said there was a little run in I think it was an issue two of Daredevil it was quite early on and it was sort of something for Daredevil that if he is on his game was you know simple stuff it was literally like five heavies or whatever but he makes a mistake he knocks a guy over the wrong way he bangs his head off a curb and dies and the scene at the start here, Matt has been carrying such guilt at this that he keeps trying to help the dead guy's brother, help his family, check in on him from time to time using his you know, lawyer persona. Uh, but the thing about this scene, what is wonderful, is that there's just these two little words. The, the mum is running a uh, glass of water and he's trying to talk and all this kind of stuff. And she just sort of very quietly says, I know. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, Joey told me, you're him. You're the man who killed my boy daredevil and you know matt starts stammering you know there's i don't know why he'd say that but he's like but it, it basically runs into this great scene where you know anyone else you would probably think they're going to attack daredevil and you know throw things at him and break down into tears and be like you took my boy and all this kind of stuff but she sort of deals with it she's obviously had time because she's known this for a while but uh she now knows that he's daredevil but she can see he's hurting, he's punishing himself, he's determined to make amends, so she actually forgives him. It's just this really, really powerful scene. Plus, you know, she's a she's a native of Hell's Kitchen. 
Daredevil is the guardian of Hell's Kitchen, you yeah. know, so she knows that he's he's trying to help people. He's he's always trying to help people. He's trying to do good. Now he's had ups and downs over the years. At Shadowland, whenever he uh, he effectively took over as the kingpin of of, uh, of Hell's Kitchen and built a giant uh, <laughs> built a giant fortress in the middle of it and such. That probably she's not thinking about that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think that yeah. No, I, I found that bit, um, it got me a bit. I, I think I choked up a bit when I was reading it and you could you could see the pain in Matt's face and you could see like that she just, she does forgive him. She she doesn't like what he did, obviously, because it took her boy away, but she, she realises that the pain that he's going through because obviously he's got to live with that guilt. And it's an accident, it was an accident. Yeah, yeah. and obviously accidents do happen and sometimes they can happen in the worst possible way mm-hmm. and someone's life gets taken and she can see that he he is trying to make amends for it yeah you just know, and, she, and it's funny because she can see that she can see that but she 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 wasn't party to the previous 16 issues yeah where you know he really you know he's shed the daredevil persona he really has been torturing himself you know he's the, the catholic guilt has rerouted him back to the you know the the church and you know and and all of that. I mean, this, so sh- so all of that. You know, I I see your punishing yourself was encapsulated in sixteen issues previous. You know yeah. everything that's happened with with uh, Cole North and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I think this is a great issue as well is that you know we've consistently praised Zdarsky the whole way through for his handling of Kingpin. and some of the best issues so far have dealt exclusively with Kingpin. but this is very much Matt's issue. The amount of the range of stuff he goes through in this, you know, Wilson Fisk is in it very quickly, but just fleetingly. Um, What's happening though is, is there are a lot of other threads being gathered here and being oh, yeah. pulled on. You know, those, those the threads with the Libris family. Uh, Matt was doing a line with the, the wife of the, the wife of the son of the Libris family. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've had the the Libris family have been their their territory has been co-opted by Hammerhead and. We see a wee bit of a we see a wee bit of a resolution, you know, to 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 the Matt accidentally killing the guy story, and we're seeing a wee bit of resolution to, on the gangland side of things yeah. as well, and what's what's happening there, and that that's an interesting one. Um, you know, we get the switching loyalties of of uh, of the thugs, you know, the you know, and uh, yeah, the hard muscle. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting. You know, we we know that Hammerhead's power is that he uh, has a metal plate in his head. And the guy decides to shoot him in the head. I don't think that's going to stick somehow. <laughs> uh, but are you saying that no one ever really dies in a comic? <laughs> I just, I think, I think, I think someone's going to get a comeuppance quite yeah. soon. No, but even then, I mean, you're jumping around a bit as well, and then you you have great scene between Matt and Foggy because you know Foggy's basically saying to him, you know, you you said you were done with this Daredevil life. How is this any different? All this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, he accuses him of being an addict. He's addicted to danger. You slept with the wife of a mobster. You stole billions with Electra. And the thing is, you're following Matt through this journey and you're always on his side. But then when you see like a normal day-to-day character like Foggy laying it out what he's done, you're just like, yeah, this this is quite, you know, destructive behavior. Yeah, he's, say, you know, he, yeah, he's saying it's the, same, it's the same thing. You just, you're just wearing different clothes doing it. You know, you're making the same mistakes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you deal with a lot of the stuff with Matt here. You know, he... You know, goes to church, he's chanting to the nun, he's trying to get forgiven by God and all this kind of stuff. So he's trying to make amends with so many things at the moment. He's made amends with 
you know, the, the mother of the, the man he killed. Uh, he tries to call Mindy, who was the aforementioned, you know, sort of gangster's mole he was having an affair with. Seems but, to be closing off that, that story as well. But. Yep, trying to close off that loop with her as well. Uh, as I say, a very quick Wilson Fisk scene, but even still, it's great to have his presence there. You know, there was a great line in here as well where uh, Matt ends up going to this sort of fundraising event held by the Stromwins because he was mayor once, so he's able to pull some strings to get into it. But there's a great line in it where he's going to use a little mask uh, to sort of hide his identity a little bit, and he just says, I can't seem to escape masks. You know, no matter what he does, it always seems to come back around. But uh, yeah, you have this great confrontation at the party between the Stromwinds and Daredevil. They assume it, well, they don't assume at first, they sort of play dumb thinking he's a journalist, but they kind of know who he is. Some great, you know, fight sequences ensue. Um, again, Jorge Fornes's art is just awesome. Um, yeah, just a wonderful, wonderful issue, and it just ends on a great line as well because the Stromwinds are actually going to call someone in to you know, deal with Daredevil, and it's someone I don't think has been in Zdarsky's run this far, and it just sort of ends with... Uh, who was that man we put on retainer? I forgot his name again. Hmm, Lester something? That's it. Bullseye. <laughs> and again, you know, that demonstrates the, the Stormwind. They, they, they don't care. This is just... A, they don't care that, that Bullseye is, is Daredevil's archenemy that... You know, he yeah. once killed uh, Electra. You know, they're just like, oh, this, this, this is an asset. This is an asset to yeah to get what know, they want, yeah. essentially, or to remove this complication for them. So yeah, just stellar, stellar stuff the whole way through it. It did lead to a little bit of a bugbear we had with Marvel's titles this week, uh, where they're advertising a new title coming out, which does look like a really fun title, Strange Academy. But I was really, reading, really pushing it. But I was reading through this and just enjoying it so much and then you feel the thickness in your hand. You're still like, oh, I've still got about 12 or 14 pages to go here and then you turn the page and it's like, no, you don't. Well, didn't, well that one you weren't quite so surprised about because I think I told you because I read yeah, it first. But it. then obviously there's a couple of other issues that we've got that are Marvel and you you, you don't really realise that they are going to be in it and I was just like... I read the last page and I put a book down because I was like, oh, I've got a couple of bit more pages to this. I need to just go check on dinner, put it down, <laughs> came back and I was like, Read one oh. page and went, oh. No. It's it's very strange for a comic to do that, to end on a double page. Usually yeah. you, you yeah, turn like the page, page to the end, you but know. That's the thing, that's what, having that um, sort of them advertise the other comic in it is sort of, it is throwing a little bit and I, I I didn't you know. like it, to be honest. As long as we're not losing pages of our story. Well, that's the thing. I don't you know. think you're necessarily losing pages, but it's just when you feel it in your hand and it's a thick issue and mm -hmm. it's just that, you know, you're escaping into that world, so to speak. And, you know, both both the big companies do it. This is not just leveling this at Marvel. DC have done it many times, I remember. Uh, well, indie as well, you know, to be but fair. But they put so. it towards the back, though, like yeah. especially the advertising, they do it at the back and it's only a couple of pages, which you, you don't yeah. mind quite yeah. so much. But when it's sort of... A good like probably what? It's only that you're giving away eight pages of a comic. You're you're coming out. You're giving away a quarter <laughs> yeah. of the issues. Well, I mean well, that's it. it. They really are. I mean, I think it's one we're all looking forward to because Scotty Young's writing it. Yeah, but yeah. Good uh, artist and, as well. Robert Ramos, you know. So, but but yeah, there's only so many times you're going to read that advert. I've not even read the sort of preview bits at the back because I I don't I don't want to spoil it because obviously it's like it's something that we're probably going to get because it being Scotty Young. And obviously, I'm just like, just stop pushing it. Like, <laughs> and we've already we've already read that same those same preview pages in the Marvel previews book last month. So. Yeah, yeah, so. exact same thing. So, 
But yeah, uh, so yeah, that was my pick of the week, which was Daredevil 17. It was uh, a good one. It was, it was a good one. I think Keith and I's picks again this week were sort of interchangeable, and there is definitely a uh, a connecting factor between the two. Most certainly. So uh, take it away then. Oh, I'm up next. You are up next. Switching <laughs> on, <laughs> So from Daredevil 17 by Chip Zdarsky to... To uh, X-Men and Fantastic Four, number one by... Chip Zdarsky. The very boy, so... He's getting uh, around a bit. <laughs> he certainly is. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, obviously coming up off the back of Parts of X, House of X, Dawn of X sort of stuff. Um, and if you remember from House of X, number one, that uh, that moment between the Fantastic Four and uh, Cyclops, um, you know, involving Franklin and that... They were apprehending that, Sabretooth. Yeah, that, that somewhat... Uh, not quite innocuous moment where uh, you know Cyclops mentioned well, you know obviously Franklin as a mutant is is welcome in Krakoa at, at any time you know mm-hmm. along with his people and there was a wee bit of there was a bit of friction there it was a it was a a tense moment and this number one of this series delivers on that tense moment I feel because it was right there, um, so. Uh, Kudos to the design pages, first of all, for this, because this is an interesting one for me. They, they haven't pushed this title as being part of the X-Line quite so much. You know, I think because it's a four-issue miniseries and it's not it's the first title, I think, not to say Head of X. Yeah, that's uh, Roddy pointed that out earlier yeah, on yeah. we started recording. <laughs> and what's interesting is the, the title pages that they've put in this. I, I've Obviously, we follow Zdarsky on Twitter. He has said he designed these himself. And he was he was quite proud of them, but they really fit the aesthetic of yeah. what Hickman is building yeah, brilliantly. Whole, yeah, there's moments yeah. of informational pages because it's, yeah. it's similar, but it's it's its own thing. You know, it's almost like they're coloured backgrounds just to show it's a little different from there, <laughs> but we're still trying to achieve yeah. the same thing. Uh, so this is uh, this is uh, I guess subtitled "The Impossible Boy." And the world has changed. Uh, Krakoa has become a safe haven for all mutants, accessible only to those who carry the X gene, apart from Kate Pride. Uh, but there is one mutant who has not yet graced this sacred land. So uh, it just it was a it was a great book. It's you know it, it starts off with the Marauders coming back to Kokoa and uh, and uh, the the quiet counselor at the very least uh, at the very least Xavier and uh, Magneto have decided that it's it's time for them to make an invitation to Franklin Richards, who is of course an Omega level mutant uh, with the power to effectively build universes and change reality. Um, so he's uh, Franklin is has a history with, with with Kitty Pride, so she's invited along to to you know they they have their friends of old um, from a from a previous Fantastic Four and X Men crossover actually uh, from uh, nineteen eighty seven. Oh wow! Which, uh, yeah, deep cuts. Yeah, which deep they, cuts. yeah it's definitely year a deep of my cut. birth. <laughs> wow! There you go. <laughs> <laughs> this one's for you, Roddy. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the uh, obviously it's um, it does not go as planned. Uh, Franklin is a wee bit uh, doesn't not rebellious. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's annoyed with his with his parents. So Franklin's in a position where where every time he uses his power, his power level is decreasing. This is uh, coming off the back of uh, uh, Secret Wars and the Fantastic Four spending X number of years rebuilding the multiverse and. And all of that, so uh, when they, they find his powers depleting, and in the same way as Reed has never been able to cure Ben, you know, of of being the thing, uh, he's having real trouble with Franklin. And there's there's some there's a really lovely some really lovely moments between Ben and Franklin where where Franklin talks about this, and and Ben finds himself defending Reed, 
saying your dad's a good guy, you know, if he could do it, he would do it. And Franklin's like, but he, he can solve, he's the smartest man in the world, he can solve every other problem. Why can he not solve, why can he not solve our problems, you know? Is it because he doesn't want to, you know, the, the Fantastic Four needs the thing's strength and, you know, I'm his, I'm his kid, he wants me to be safe, you know, is that the reason, you know? Is, so there's a, there's a wee bit of that in there, uh, a wee bit of, of conflict created between... Um, yeah, it's one, of, it's one of the best written parts in the book, I think, is where they're sitting across from each other. It's essentially what you were just saying there, but, you know, Ben, Sam Franklin, your old man, he's doing his best, and he's, and, you know, is he? Dad's the smartest man alive. He solves the universe's problems da daily. So why is it exactly that the only two problems he can't solve are you and me? Mm, I mean, there's some there's some great moments of Reed's questioning himself as a father, uh, you know, that with the way he's 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 relating to Franklin, and uh, that's when uh, when the the Krakoa mutants uh, arrive on Yancey Street, uh, which is where the Fantastic Four have been living as per Dan Slott's run, um, and uh, to 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 talk to Franklin or to pick up Franklin. I don't know. They came over to me. The mutants came over as really aggressive in this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there I was like, you're like, whoa, hold on, this kid's. You know, I felt that we, I felt, I certainly felt for Sue, and Sue, Sue does what Sue, uh, as one of the most powerful, you know, uh, superhumans in the world. I mean, Sue Richards is, w with her powers, or her, the the Invisible Woman, you know, her force fields and and her invisibility really is one of the, she's she's one of the, the big players, mm -hmm. uh, but she first and foremost is family. She's about family. She's about her children. She's about her her extended family, her brother Ben her husband, um, you know, and she, from the very, very start, whenever, you know, the mutants arrive, she's throwing up a force bubble around Yancey Street and going, nope, that's it, you know, and Kate is there and she's she's able to phase through the force bubble and, and talk to Franklin and they, they reunite as, as friends and it's just this, this real back and forth where... Even how Magneto and Charles come down from the sky, yeah, that's very villainous, yeah, isn't it? there's a wee bit of that, you know, and, you know, the, there's, there's conflict between between Sue and Magneto, Sue wraps Magneto up in a... They're in drinking tea in the front room, like, of Yancey Street. <laughs> and, you know, Magneto's making these veiled threats, and Sue wraps him up in a bubble, and then Xavier threatens to, you know, to to press her, you know, psychically to let Magneto go, and Reed's like, do not do that. You will not do that. You know, it's uh, some great well, stuff. Well, isn't it... They, there's a discussion about humanity and who's... And basically... Xavier is like, yes, we're superior. Yes, so therefore he should be on the island, you know. So he deserves, he deserves to be deserves on the island. It, yeah, some and really so like, interesting this, stuff. This, he's still, he's under, he's under eighteen. He's, he's a kid, you know. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. But the tension and the con, the tension runs right the way through this until finally, you know, Kitty, who, you know, she's sort of saying, "I'll make, you, I, I don't care what." what your father wants or what Xavier wants, I'll let you make your own decisions. And she takes him out of there and that maybe wasn't the smartest move either. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, and of course it all just ends, it all it deteriorates a little bit uh, as a result of that. And uh, Sort of shows Xavier's genius though as well there, knowing that Kitty is the one who can be the sympathetic ear but yeah. might just push him a little bit towards the so, mutants. So, so Magneto and Xavier are manipulating kitty as well yeah and yeah. this yeah. you know and that's there's there's a whole lot of a whole lot of tension and a whole lot of conflict and eventually we come down to fisticuffs and the fantastic four versus the x-men which i guess anybody who's buying this book that's what they're looking for you know the the world's first family versus the world's top mutant super team you know um just very quickly obviously with your marvel knowledge being far superior to anybody else at this table what is genosha 
Genosha. Yeah, so just the way that uh, Storm saying like, you know, the only way to protect Franklin is to be strong together. And Ben says, I don't know, sounds to me like the least safe place for my mutant godson is a new Genosha. So potted history of Genosha. Genosha is an island, I think it's in the Pacific. Um, and it originally was an island back in the, the 80s that that uh, brainwashed mutants into mutates, used genetic engineering in order to make them a slave race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very prosperous as a result of that. The X-Men arrived. Uh, shut down all that noise, uh, and then later on, it's been throughout history. Genosha has throughout the you know X Men history has been there. Most recently, uh, Genosha became a an island haven for mutants. Sound familiar? And uh, Cassandra Nova, who was Xavier's twin sister, uh, used effectively used uh, Sentinels to mm-hmm. wipe the place out and wipe out most of the mutant population of the world who were all there on one island. So that's 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 what Genosha is in a, and as I say in a, you know, <laughs> as I say, potted history. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, this this all goes goes really well. You know, this this battle's going fantastically. Uh, two good guys fighting. Everybody loves good guys versus good guys. <laughs> uh, and then Franklin makes his decision and runs for one of Krakoa's uh, gates in Manhattan, uh, which activate for mutants. Uh, I say every mutant except uh, Kate Pride, and he runs through it and finds himself still in Manhattan. And it turns out that Reed uh, has created a device that masks Franklin's mutant mutant gene and prevents him from accessing the gates because he was expecting that, you know. And then of course, it all turns around because Franklin goes, "Well, well, you're supposed to be fixing me, and you're able to do this. I was just trying to protect you. You're too young. I'm your father." You know, and of course, in, in betraying Franklin's trust and taking that choice away from him, Reed has made a terrible, terrible mistake. And uh, Xavier, you know, plays into Xavier's hands, you know, and uh, Xavier, you know, really just understands that now Franklin will probably make the choice that that uh, Xavier wanted him to make anyway. So, Which is quite interesting because I thought... That's a very Xavier-like thing to do, but it, well, it's a very yeah. Reed Richards thing to do, obviously, to to make that mistake. But I think that's that is something straight out of the Charles Xavier playbook, I like think, to say, "Oh, I'm protecting you, mutants." You know? Uh, yeah, maybe old, maybe maybe old Xavier. Mm-hmm. Uh, still don't uh, know who this new Xavier yeah, is. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's interesting. And actually, on that point, the giant, one of the giant size X Men, you know that. Uh, Hickman is releasing yeah. uh, he's done uh, he's doing one which is uh, Jean Grey and Emma Frost then there's a Magneto, Magneto one. one there's also going to be a Phantom X one yeah. which Phantom X in Rosenberg's X-Men run astonishing X-Men run mm-hmm. Xavier took over Phantom X's body yeah. so I'm really interested to see what the relationship is between you know, this gonna tie together. yeah, exactly. But, but I think it's funny because Reed Richards is one of the most, one of the smartest man and men in the world. He's also one of the dumbest when it comes to emotions and understanding people. You know, that's been demonstrated recently in Dan Slott's Fantastic Four, and Sue pulled him up on it. And likewise, Sue's like, "What? What did you do? What did you do?" <laughs> but uh, whereas Xavier, Xavier may not have, you know, Reed Richards like uh, intelligence, you know, and scientific acumen, but. He certainly understands the human mind, mm-hmm. you know, and this is it's just their plan. I was really manipulative in this, you know. This is exactly what he wanted. This he knew exactly what Reed was going to do. Um, if I recall, uh, whenever the Illuminati were a thing, um, Reed Richards was the one that 
you know, whenever they they had they had uh, you know Xavier was one, a member of the Illuminati and Mister Fantastic and Black Panther and Doctor Strange and and uh, and those guys, uh, Submariner, Reed Richards was the one that they had to sort of say, oh no, I'm wrong, it was Captain America, my mistake, forget I said anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, great. I mean, it it goes from there. Um, Franklin does make his own decision, and. Uh, we end up in a wee bit of a of a cliffhanger at the end of the book. So this was great. Really looking forward to the next. It's a four issue, isn't it? Four yep. issue, just yeah. Uh, really looking forward to to seeing. Well, where, it could only be goes. four issues, couldn't it? Well, of course. <laughs> so. I don't know. It could be ten. Oh. oh, could be forty. Four times ten. Yeah, I mean, without giving away, obviously, the final page. It does end with a great sort of um, some great dialogue uh, as Franklin's thinking, and he says, "I was born a mutant." Born to be with mutants, but I was born into the Fantastic Four, which means I have twice as many enemies. Oh, that's mm. true. And I mean, Terry Dodson on on pencils, Rachel Dodson on inks. Uh, it's just a gorgeous looking book as well. So yeah, uh, brilliantly yeah. put together and in the store as well. I mean, we ordered big on this and it sold out by Friday. So mm. it did more copies coming, but uh, I think this is going to be a great, great mini series. I mean, we've. We said it last year was at Arsky with Spider-Man Life Story. As much as he thrives in Daredevil with long-form storytelling, he's very good at condensing a lot into shorter miniseries mm, as well. And I just uh, the way that he handled all of these characters, he's, he's got an understanding of, of all of the members of the Fantastic Four here. You know, he's got an understanding of the key members of of the the X-Men who are, who are in this. Um, and, and also the relationships between them. You know, Ben Grimm's short conversation with Storm and... Uh, the relationship between Franklin and, and, and Kitty and that, that really deep cut, as we said, and uh, and even even Reed and, and Xavier and then Magneto just slightly on the outside, you know, just <laughs> being the real, the real, you know, he's just poking everybody, he's poking the Fantastic Four. It's just... An I think um, Terry Dodson really conveys that really well in his art and I love Rachel Dodson has those thick, really thick lines and very cartoonish, not cartoonish style, but very yeah, well, I know what you mean. Yeah, very heavy on the ink around the characters. So, like, I love it. It looks very expressive, fantastic. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. the way, especially there's a scene is the scene with Ben talking about talking to the kid, mm-hmm. um, Franklin. Franklin Richards is brilliant. The way his face just emotes and it's fantastic. And I don't know if he was, I don't know if it's a great thing or a horrifying thing to get all these characters, but he draws them so well. And I loved how each one had a unique, just a unique style to them, you know? Yeah, but I mean, it was, I wasn't, I didn't used to be a big fan of uh, of the the Dodson's, the Dodson's art back you know, a lot of years ago, but I think maybe my tastes have matured and changed, you know, and uh, that, that really, really suits a lot of things, a lot of this, you know, so, yeah, good stuff. Maybe this is one that I might have to give a read. Highly recommend it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not a DC book, so you'll probably read it. Meow. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was... Uh, that was X-Men Fantastic Four number one. Uh, so here ends the Zdarsky Corner, for now anyway. Uh, Pleasure as always. But we will stay in the realm of Marvel and on to another one of our favourite writers. Uh, Vicky, what was your pick of the week? So I've gone for Immortal Hulk Great Power. Um, I believe this is a, just a one-shot. It is indeed, yeah. And it's written by Tom Taylor. And the art is Jorge... Molina. Molina. Thank you, Alan. Always has to help me out there with the artist names. 
Um, but well, I would be more worried if you didn't know Tom's second name. Well, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. Um, no, but I like Tom Taylor's writing anyway. Obviously, he did All New Wolverine um, a wee while ago. Technically speaking, you know, we, we speak a lot about Tom Taylor in this podcast, but I actually think you got there before any of us. Yeah. Because he's a writer on All New Wolverine with uh, X-23. So you were reading Tom Taylor long before we jumped on with, you know, Deceased and with Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man and so forth. So maybe you were quicker at picking out the talent before us. Because saying that, I actually finished um, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man last week as well. So I'm slowly getting through my single issues. I've got about... um, six left on my pile and so then i'm gonna be out of single issues which might lead to me actually reading my wolverine one that i have (laughs) all of 190 (laughs) issues so clearly having a break at work is helping (laughs) so um with this it's just obviously with it being a one shot it's just one and done and it's good fun um one and done and good fun yes poet and you know it so at the start um it's just a black page with some writing, which is um, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. And who could that be? Ben Parker. So is there anyone alive who doesn't know that line at this point? And I mean, it's great because this this is riffing off the the Immortal Hulk ongoing, which continually has these black pages with white, you know, quotes in white from you know, they might be biblical quote quotes or Sun Tzu quotes or just a quote that is from a writer that has got something to do with a story that's oncoming so the fact that he's quoting you know Ben Parker is <laughs> for this which is a story that features the amazing Spider-Man is just yeah. fantastic so it opens up and um, it's sort of it's all dark and like sort of a rainy skyline then all of a sudden it hits saying it's in Tubek and then there's Bruce Banner sort of saying I can't remember what happened not the first time I've woken up confused in the crater and it won't be the last so obviously we all know bruce is um as uh um is the hulk and he's not sure why he's back to being bruce due to being night obviously hulk mostly comes out at night in this book anyway i i've not read um immortal hulk so i'm not too familiar with that story we will fix that okay um so then all of a sudden you've got spider-man um, cause he, Bruce hears him and he's like, he's like asking Spidey what hit him or what hit them. And Spider-Man's like, I'm not sure. I don't know. Then he's like, spider senses are going mad. And I like the art, the way that sort of to emphasize the Spidey senses, it's got the red squiggle lines. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Which obviously just, it shows his senses even more. And then like, we've not really known where it's coming from. And then all of a sudden he realizes it's, it's in him. And then he sort of, his spider suit is breaking like Hulk would. Yeah, he hulks out. <laughs> He's hulking out. It stretches well, though, to keep him covered, which is good. You know. Yeah, the suit stays pretty much whole, apart from a few rips. And Banner's like, Spider-Man. He's like, He's, and he's trying to comfort him and say, look, I know you're scared. Just like, we'll get through this. And he's like, scared, not scared, angry. And then he whips off as he does. <laughs> First thing he can think of is his greatest enemy, Osborne. Yeah, so he's like, Osborne and Bruce Banner's left going, ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which we can all guess is probably what it is what he's thinking. So Banner is like, right, I need to get some help here. And so 
on on his um way to find Osborne, um Spidey Hulk is flying through the air and sticking to things and then he's like stupid sticky walls. <laughs> it's, a, it's completely different. <laughs> he's, he's you know, he obviously has a complete weight differential because you get you know Spider-Man now the size of Hulk swinging from a web line, you know, <laughs> crashing through the the you know the corners of buildings and leaving huge finger marks and then you know and and, and walls that he's clinging to and then whenever he bounces off the wall leaving holes in the walls and um, but, yeah but, crazy. But the quote I like on this page is like a man with potential powers of spider of a spider combined with an unstoppable force with the temper of a tra- uh, sorry um, tantrum toddler. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, <laughs> it, it doesn't get much worse than that. Unfortunately, <laughs> so obviously, he's taken off from a wall, like Keith said, and he's leaving holes. And like, there's a couple going, "What the hell is going on here?" <laughs> and then, so, and then in comes the Fantastic Four, because who else to help with a hulked out Spider-Man? There you go. That's our link to uh, to the last book then. <laughs> Seamless. <laughs> And so the thing is trying to sort of sort of calm Peter down and he's like no Peter like and he's like or Spider Man is saying that it's not Peter and he's Parker and he's like secret and uh, <laughs> they eventually knock him out and um they take him to an island. Um would you better help me up the pronunciation of this island, Keith? Where are we? Where are we? Oh. Astra. 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 Astra Island. So it's a former military research facility, I guess, off uh, off Manhattan. Okay. So Spidey's all, all confused because he's, he's not hulked out anymore. So daytime. He's tr- yeah, so it's daytime and he's not hulked out. And he's sort of trying to understand what's going on. And then the next night... Um, Ben is saying that he he should be the one that stays but um, Bruce is like no you beat him up Hulk will remember that so obviously if you're nice to him he's nice back to you and then I mean uh, I guess the point is that Bruce Banner is used to the sensation and knows the Hulk Hulk is in him and he is in Hulk and uh, Bruce understands the sensation of fading away and, and, and the Hulk taking over at night and and that, so I guess he is—he is the obvious choice. Um, while uh, the Fantastic Four head off back home to the lab and try and figure out how to transfer his power back to him. That's the thing. It's like Spidey's like, I can feel him. I'm fading. Bruce like, then goes, "It's okay. You're not alone. Thank you." So then, um, the next morning, Spidey's trying to find Bruce, and he finds out that he did a lot of. Uh, smashing and it was mostly beating up a building calling it Norman so obviously trying to get his frustrations out of Norman Osborn so then the guys find out that it was Loki that had sort of managed to take the power out of Bruce and he thought he was banishing it from (laughs) they thought he was he uses uses Martin's classic line I was just trying to help (laughs) I do that now I'm a hero Spidey says you put the monster inside me I'm a hero in progress (laughs) (laughs) excuse me so um, Loki tries to take the 
Hulk out of Spidey, but he, he can't sense it. Because when he managed to take it out of Bruce, he was able to sense him for the first time and realises that Bruce and Hulk have changed. So that's why he was able to do it. But if he tries to mess with Spidey, he might make things worse and do more damage. So they realise magic's not going to help them. So they go to the lab and um, there's a great line where Bruce is like, so you and Reed are world-class scientist mind, but no offence, should Spider-Man really be part of this brainstorming session? And so he's like, oh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Which is because the Fantastic Four have worked with Spidey before in this capacity. And, uh, you know, Reed and, Reed and, and Peter have worked side by side and Banner just didn't realise that Peter is also Quite. a world-class brain. like, And that he deserves to which be Which is a moment. And then it just goes to show you how a lot of the Marvel heroes see Spider-Man just as a as a you know, super-powered quipper. You know, <laughs> they don't realize that he really is, you know, one of the, you know, one of the, the smart the ones. Elite. So they figure out how to get the gamma, gamma ray out of Spidey, but they have to sort of shock um, Banner with it again. And so soon Richard leaves the island and then, because as soon as the sun hits, Spidey has to hit the button to basically blast Bruce with the gamma ray. And then it's like, Bruce comes out and he goes, you have something that belongs to me. Or Great use of shadows here in the art, by the way. Mm. On the Hulk. Covering up his... Uh, Junk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not the word I was going to use, but applicable. <laughs> So then there's a bit of fighting going on and Hulk is Hulk is trying to get Hulk back into Banner and then they they seem to manage to do it and Spidey's there to help him but it's still night so he knows that he's going to Banner knows that Hulk's going to come back out because it's his time. I do like it that Spidey stays with him at this point. Mm -hmm. Nice little touching moment. Yeah, I'm gonna stay with you. I'm gonna stay with you just as once, Bruce. You don't have to be alone when you fade. And then, um, Hulk now has appeared, and it's like, "What are you doing, Peter? Uh, just giving you a hug, big man. Wait, did you just call me Peter? You made everyone forget who you are. Banner forgot, but I don't forget. So it's just sort of trying to." show that he is there for each other, which is nice. And then he says, you stayed with Banner? Yeah, that's that's something I can't do. Banner is my family. I do anything for him, but I can't be there with him. I'm glad you were. You're a good man, Peter Parker. I'll try and remember that the next time we meet. Sounds like a threat to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's classic Tom Taylor tugging at the, tugging at the heartstrings, you know. Yeah. Uh, Especially, I mean, it's good to see him writing, writing Spider-Man again. Although, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man isn't that long gone. But there was a great, a great moment here that I think just uh, sort of encapsulate, encapsulate Peter, encapsulates Peter. You know, when, you know, he has the Hulk inside him. You know, and uh, they're talking about how, how they they can get it out of him and get it back into Banner. And you know, Peter says, I was just thinking, how, how is it better if it's you? And Banner says, what do you mean? And he goes, I could keep it. <laughs> you know, 
and you know he's doing that he's being he's being selfless he's being selfless he's you know when banner says you you could but the hulk isn't your monster not a burden for you to bear but i really appreciate you offering i always think that's a great thing about um tom taylor he always seems to have this like really like goofy sense of humor and like it's brilliant and then the next moment you're just hit with that the core of the character and then you get a real sort of universal truth through you know a character yeah, like that yeah yeah and that's i mean that, that that's that moment of uh for that it's those two it's the core of those two characters mm-hmm. you know peter selfless you know he has something it's his responsibility he has the parts to do something about it he has the power to to keep the monster to to stop banner from from having that burden and mm-hmm. he feels that it's his responsibility to do it whereas banner you know who is constantly trying to get rid of the hulk for has has for for years been trying to get rid of the hulk isn't willing to get rid of it if it's the cost of giving it to someone else you know that's that's class yeah yeah cool so that was uh the immortal hulk great power that was uh by tom taylor and jorge molina uh great little one shot so we're going to move away from this marvel living uh and finish off with roddy's pick of the week which of course is an indie book <gasps> or is it an indie book being published by someone else well it's not an indie book i'm going to go for dc i know shock uh, uh, deep breath but you reckon it feels kind of like an indie book it definitely feels like an indie book so maybe don't want to get into this one too much i can maybe talk about overall the overall sort of impact on this book because this is the final issue of 12 issue maxi series written by steve orlando riley rossimo and the colors from uh, FCO Placenta. Placenta. And then there's the letters from And World Design, too, which I'm really enjoying. But this one, obviously, like I think we give DC like a bit of a hard time, give them a bit of a, a slagging about some delays, black label. But when DC get it right, they really get it right. And I think this book is, it'll be looked upon as something really special when the sort of dust settles and all when sort of you get the graphic novel, I, I think people are going to put this up with uh, Mr. Miracle. Bold, bold statement, I know, folks. But um, this one, so I don't know how familiar you are with the Marsh, Martian Mindhunter or Manhunter. Wow. How familiar are you? Well, he was um, Mindhunter in issue because 10. I was looking, uh, looking at issue 10 there, um, which is Manhunter scribbled out and it says Martian Mindhunter. Right. And actually that's, that's kind of the core of the book. Um, yep. He basically on Earth, he's after Mars is basically on fire. He's returned to Earth and he sort of, he has a detective job under the guide guise of Joshua Jones. Obviously he's John Jones um, of Mars and he's sort of trying to fit in and be human. He has a partner, which they have a great sort of banter with. Um, but also his past seems to just come, keep coming back to him, keep haunting him, keep, keep oh, tormenting him. Past it is. Yes, he's he's no, he's no hero really, is he? <laughs> so he's he's done a lot of bad things in his life, and this this twelve issue maxi series is almost him sort of seeking atonement and working through his issues. And there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff about mental health, and especially in the the panel designs, I especially love this in this issue alone. The art is stunning. And I think the way we were saying it feels like an indie book, 
is because it kind of really looks at it looks like a book you might you might pick up from say like an image or something you know it feels maybe it looks maybe more like an adventure say that would take place in middle west or something you know um but yeah this one this sort of last one uh martian manhunter he's sort of been battling with the villain who's called charn and charn charn has his own past he's been scarred by mars as well he's been imprisoned on mars while everything else sort of went wrong and burned didn't it so this one um John sort of imprisoned um in his own mindscape and that's that's where the mind comes in. Um it's an utterly fantastic series and I love the way they've everything combines to to form this great look about sort of John's like mental health and the way he sort of works through his own issues and the way the past has made him what he is and how he deals with that and how there's battles on like different planes there's um is it middle town they're in mm-hmm. is that so the police battle with um i can't remember the names of the the other villains and then mine mine hunter martian manhunter has his final battle with charn um but there's also uh charn has i can't remember the girl's name offhand um, ashley is ashley is it ashley adams um charn sort of forces her into becoming a martian um it's just really great stuff and i've i've loved each issue often and it's almost sort of gone kind of under the radar for like an entire year um i've loved it i've loved it all and i've loved seeing the colors are utterly astounding in it and the way there's something in the way it makes you like feel because john's obviously an alien on earth but you the way it's drawn it makes it feel like earth is sort of the alien place mm-hmm. and i really i really love stuff like that and i love the colors i love the way he's colored differently than uh his wife as well there's so, and there's some absolutely bonkers stuff it's really it's really experimental and abstract and i just love the way it, it tackled the issues and i certainly didn't the way to me it feels like an indie book is because i don't think dc books necessarily do that not that I'm that familiar. I know with Lois Lane, it's certainly Greg Rucka takes on sort of world and political issues and journalism issues, but... Certainly does. And But Mr. Miracle was also um certain look at trauma and mental health as well. But I thought this was stellar. Um, I don't want to give anything away in it, but just this was issue 12. And when it comes out as a graphic novel, I strongly recommend you pick it up because what they've been doing with these 12 issue maxi series for don't want to say the minor characters because i mean certainly martian manhunter from the justice league is no minor character chairman of the justice league yeah (laughs) but like i mean just what they're doing these sort of soft relaunches would you say yeah definitely alternate takes on sort of classic characters um I mean, it's obviously going to then be followed up by... They, they seem to be running one of them at a time, mm-hmm. almost. I mean, obviously, Lois Lane's a 12 issue that you'd, you'd mentioned as well, and Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. They're maybe a little less experimental than, say, this and Mr. Miracle. Mm-hmm. And the, I think just as this is coming to an end, Strange Adventures is coming out. 
as well. But yeah, I'm the same as Roddy. I've been on this since the beginning, and I just love how different it is. It looks like no other DC book. It reads like no other DC book. It's just really trippy as well, isn't it? Really yeah. trippy. Some of the stuff throughout it, I mean... Just showing how two Martians have sex alone in one of the early issues. I think it's it in the first one. I think it is it? the yeah. first one, yeah. It's just crazy, trippy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it also seems to be a little bit of a goodbye for Steve Orlando. I, I follow mm-hmm. him on Twitter and he's been exclusive to DC for six years, I think it is. But he's actually stepping away from DC and Marvel and going completely indie. I think he might actually be working on a TKO book as well. Interesting. Uh, well, there you go. And I think an image <laughs> book as well. So... Yeah, I'm I'm on board with this as well, Roddy. I've followed it the whole way through. There is going to be a, no doubt, a gorgeous 12-issue uh, hardcover collection of it. And I, I think it deserves a bigger audience, you know, because uh, it has been pretty great. Uh, and I'm a fan of Riley Rossmo. I mean, Riley Rossmo is one of those artists that his style almost is abstract. And if you have a full series of just his art, it's, it's awesome. But mm-hmm. I also remember him being the artist on No Justice, issue three, and it really threw me because it was so different to the rest of the series. Uh, but you give him something like this where he can go nuts. I mean, there's yeah, I don't think he could be a fill in. You know, he's not going to fill in on Daredevil no, <laughs> for, for like I an don't issue. Think so. <laughs> uh, but if you like his style, one I'd recommend to actually is a an old image title called Green Wick, oh, okay. uh, which is very yeah. Silent Hillish, very dark horror um, that he did. Uh, which is a very very good title. So I'll be curious to see what uh, Riley Rossmo does next. He also did the Maybe Batman yeah. Who Laughs one shot in oh, yeah, Mel, yeah. which was great. So, yeah, good shout on that but one. Yeah, that's DC book. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, just as I was saying earlier about how it's not just Marvel that are throwing in eight-page previews that we don't necessarily need to see, there is an eight-page preview at the back of this for a title called Amethyst, uh, which may be a wonderful... Well. Maybe a wonderful title, but when you're reading the last issue of something you've really been enjoying, you kind of wish those last eight pages were more Martian Manhunter pages. Mm, gotta yeah. say. So, yeah, cool. That was Martian Manhunter, which was Roddy's pick of the week. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to take a quick break and then we will be back with some honorable mentions. So, that was our. Uh, picks of the week um, so now we're going to move on to all our honorable mentions so first up we're going to do something a little bit different um, we're going to do a round robin and we're going to start off with all the dc titles and we're actually going to start with me how about that um, i'm going to go for what have you got ronnie i've got daphne byrne which um Part of the imprint of Joe Hill's Hill House Comics. Um, this is Daphne Byrne is a sort of a very macabre, old-fashioned ghost story. Um, I've, I know, Alan, you're reading it too. I don't know if anybody else around the table is. No, no. I'm, I'm not, but nope, uh, not Joe Hill is. Joe Hill's definitely putting himself about a wee bit these days, isn't he? Yep. Well, this one, he's... He's um, he's pretty much the curator, this, yeah, yeah, of this imprint. This one is by Laura Marks, who I know wrote a couple of TV shows. Ray Donovan was the big one. And the art's by Kelly Jones, colours by Michelle Madsen, and lettering by Rob Lee. And special, special shout-out to the covers, which is by a Polish artist called Piotr Jablonski, who's absolutely incredible. Definitely worth checking out his art. Um, this one... Just continues with the sort of macabre, very 
it's a really old-fashioned ghost story. If you love maybe stuff like The Haunting of Hill House, those kind oh, of... Hill House, yeah. you say? Oh, yes, that's right, yeah. <laughs> um, if you love that kind of thing, it would definitely be up your street. The art is very... There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of grotesque imagery. There's a lot of stuff. Of exaggerated features and stuff yeah. like that. <clears throat> There's a lot of things that don't that aren't real that don't quite seem there. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I think the second issue was a definite step up in the first one. Um, there's some really cool stuff. It starts off with um, basically Daphne Daphne Byrne, the titular uh, character, suffered a tremendous trauma in the first issue. And sort of second issue is her dealing with a lot of these issues and there's a lot of really crazy stuff. So yeah, can't recommend this one enough. Really enjoyed issue two. Um, it's nice what looking. I would say the colors and the art isn't for everyone. I know Alan wasn't a big fan of it, were you? It just but, depends. I, I just find sometimes with... Uh, with that art style, yeah, as you said, sort of a, a lot of the characters, I think, start melding together. It's kind of hard to see different age ranges and things yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, the, what was what was it? There was a panel where she was drawn and she's meant to be like, is it 13 or something? Yeah, and, she looks about 60. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you said as well with issue one, that was sort of part of the charm in mm -hmm. that it was it feels like a story from sort of the 70s. You know, that kind of thing. So it sort of suits the art style. Yeah. It, do you know what it reminded me of? It reminds me of um uh what are those Tales of the Crypt? Those yeah. kind of those kind of stories. I'm sure sure that's the um the sort of vibe they're going for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that was my pick for DC. Um who else is on DC? Uh yeah, I think Keith and I have a couple of ones that we quite enjoyed this week. We were on both occasions quite close to being picks of the week. Um uh, I had my own problems with Batman 87, but I think 88 has uh, got it right back on track. Definitely the, the strongest of Tinian's three so far. I think so, yeah. And there's a really nice even split in this book between they're trying to establish the villain's motivations. There's an even split with the Catwoman stuff. There's some good stuff here with Batman as well. Um, I did particularly enjoy uh, Lucius's little toy that he gave to Batman. Oh, the Echo. Yeah, which essentially allows him to put... A device on top of any car and the car will have the appearance of the, Bat the Batmobile though as Batman realizes further on that doesn't mean it has the durability of the Batmobile uh, but it's just obviously more of a, a tool to frighten criminals and let them know that he's coming and all the <laughs> a rest. Batmobile in my pocket I guess what it, yeah it, 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 it activates and supercharges the Wayne Enterprises components in the engine bypasses the speed limiters and creates a hollow interface that masks the true appearance of the car makes this class stuff yeah, it's the kind of th it's the kind of tech you would expect someone like Batman with all his resources to have. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of sort of there's a nice mystery sort of building here. You know, you have there's clearly something that was planned in the past between Catwoman, Riddler, uh, Penguin, and Joker. And at the start, Catwoman's actually trying to dig a grave, trying to find the Joker, and they do find a body there that looks to be the Joker has been buried, but you know. I don't think things are what they seem, so to speak. I'm kind of more interested in the Riddler as a villain in this. He's he, kind of, the way they're, they're doing the, the Riddler is kind of creepy. Very demented. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like, I, I remember when we did, we sort of reviewed that Riddler, you're the villain one shot, he came across as quite pathetic. So it's almost like he's went away and he's sort of making this comeback in a, in a different sort of way. But I do particularly enjoy when I was chatting to Keith about it that the main takeaway he had from this issue was uh, just before the, the middle double pages, there's a great fight scene. 
Uh, I must say as well, by the way, Guillaume March's art on this issue was pretty outstanding. That's lovely. <clears throat> really is lovely. But uh, tell us why you enjoyed this fight sequence uh, so much. Just, I just, I just <laughs> really, as a, as a martial artist myself, I really enjoy um, a, a finely crafted fight scene that makes sense and flows properly. So uh, there's, a, there's a scene where, where Batman has crashed through the wall uh, and where Penguin is, is holding the... the the bad guys um, here, uh, Deathstroke and, and some of these guys. And I can't remember who this, this skeletal-looking, knife-wielding character is, but um, Batman executes what, what I was know, know from karate as a, as a shuto to the, to, to, to the guy's tricep. <laughs> it just, he uses it to shift his weight and smash a man's face into his knee and then the, the turn around from that to grabbing this gun. And it, it's, it's just really, it flows very, very nicely. It's very, um, it, it's nearly instructional. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it definitely feels like an issue with consequences and with real stakes as well. Um, certainly the the condition Penguin's left in come the end of the issue, uh, the situation that Catwoman now finds herself in because obviously her and Bruce have Selena and Bruce have become a couple properly, and you know they rely on each other, but she has this deep deep dark secret that she hasn't uh, shared with him yet. So uh, I was also surprised that Keith enjoyed the issue so much given that Harley Quinn appears in the last page. So Yeah, ignored that. <laughs> <laughs> um, makes me wonder, you know, we've got uh, Batman and Catwoman coming out sooner rather than later, I guess, and that's going to be 12 issues, isn't that yeah. right? Uh, I wonder, is this relationship going to last to the end of that particular run, or are, they, are we going to reset the status quo again back to... Yeah, I suppose we don't know. I mean, the, the Batcat stuff is supposed to take place within main continuity, so... Uh, I did see Tom Keen answer a question on Twitter this week because someone said, oh, I don't want to read another Batman Catwoman series if it's just a what if. And he re- he replied to it saying, like, it's not a what if. It's canon. Mm. So Yeah, but what I mean is, I mean, uh, we've all sort of got comfortable with this status quo of mm-hmm. Bruce and Selena being together. But, I mean, is it is it going to last throughout that year yeah. of Batcat? Or is it, you know, will, that, will the end of Batcat see the end of that particular relationship and a reset into that? That, that status quo of that relationship back to, to where it was. Well, speaking of uh, status quos that keep jumping over the place, we have Justice League 40. Justice League 40 was an interesting one, especially if you uh, read Justice League 39, which was the end of uh, the... Scott Snyder run, the, yeah. The Snyder... Um, what do you call him? Who was, who was he sharing it with? Uh, that was Snyder and Tinian. That, of course it was, yeah. Of course it was. Um, so we've got... Uh, uh, isn't it Robert Vendetti in this? Robert Vendetti writing, Doug Mahanke as penciler. Uh, and it's almost like they just, in a weird way, ignored everything that came before it. Yeah, the, I mean, that's the, the, the Snyder and uh, Tinian run was the whole Justice Doom War thing. And uh, at the, the end of it, sort of had the, the Justice League effectively losing. Yeah. And uh, and stepping, you know, they, they, they ended up communing with this, this phantom stranger and uh, a whole lot of lads who clearly are some sort of uh, multiversal uh, higher Illuminati thing um, and they stepped through this this portal of light you know to continue doing what they were doing it's a wee bit you know I don't know it was weird um, but this starts as if you know none of that has happened which makes me think is this a is this the start of the sneaky, the sneaky soft reboot? Yeah, that's you know, is that what we're going to find out? Sort of the impression I was getting as well, I have to say, but it was a really satisfying issue. You know, if you just sort of take it on its own merits, uh, it is 
to do with a uh, previous Superman villain, the Eradicator. Mm -hmm. <coughs> uh, again, bringing back a bit of a legacy character, which is really interesting. But at the same time, although it seems to stand on its own, it does uh, mention stuff like Superman giving up his identity. Uh, there was also a scene that the first time I saw it, it really confused me. Yeah, very, um, very weird. Where uh, Batman's in the Batwing approaching London. And then there's these three panels in a row where it, he says, Autopilot return to Batcave. And then in the next panel, it says, Alfred remote pilot the jet back to the cave. Planning to swim home, Mr. Bruce. And I'm thinking, Alfred's dead. What is going on here? But I read it a second in time, and to me it clearly jumps from autopilot return to back cave to the third panel, which is autopilot engaged. But this is almost like a little memory, or maybe Bruce is slightly unhinged. He's still dealing with this loss. I don't think I don't think it's a flash. I think it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think your your maybe your latter part is right. That you know it's he's Bruce is starting to become unhinged. Yeah, you know the death of Alfred is the, the trauma of that is too much for him. Um, but yeah, it was confusing for a moment. It really was. Uh, because at first I thought it wasn't to do with that. And then it was two pages later, Superman says, you know, the world knows I'm Clark Kent. I chose to tell everyone. So mm. it did throw me a little bit. Uh, the, 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 whatever's going on with the Flash seems to be seems to be crossing over with Williamson's Flash as well. His, yeah. He's overpowered or something. And he's, he's worried about, about how he's using his powers. Um, all sorts of things there. So yeah, most... Most enjoyable, most yeah, enjoyable. I thought it was pretty satisfying. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was uh, Justice League number 40. And then just one last one I'll throw out a wee bit of, wee bit of a notice for. It was DC's uh, Valentine's Day special. Uh, DC always seemed to do these 80-page giants around different holidays. You know, we had the classic Curse Comics Cavalcade. We had, you know, Secrets of Sinister House. Those were their Halloween ones from the last few years. Uh, I think they're... Uh, Valentine's one last year was Monsters in Love I think it was uh, so this year it's DC's Crimes of Passion uh, has a great front cover which you would expect to see in sort of like a 1940s noir ma pulpy magazine you know where Batman turns up in this alleyway saying Catwoman and Nightwing why? and Nightwing saying aren't you a detective? we're in love and you know, Catwoman smiling and stuff so imagine my disappointment when none of the 10 stories in here were to do with this front really <laughs> great cover image uh, but that's not to say there weren't some, there wasn't some good stuff in here. Uh, just obviously, Roddy and I were chatting before about Martian Manhunter and Steve Orlando's great work. He writes one of the best stories, which is um, it's a Batman story called "The Batman in More Than Maybe," and it's to do with the great love affair that Bruce is having with someone. But the woman who he's having this love affair with absolutely hates Batman and everything he stands for. So Bruce is trying to, you know think of a way around this you know for a way for them to be together and so forth but it was a really cool wee first one Greg, Greg Smallwood did the art for it too Greg Smallwood yeah I mean I predominantly know him from doing Archie stuff recently um, he's been doing a lot of that uh, second story is to do with uh, Wildcat uh, which is a story that uh, Riley Rossmo, again, mm -hmm. Martian Manhunter. And a writer who we'll get to in a wee bit. Stephanie Phillips, indeed. Uh, so this was a cool wee story as well, though it's hard not to look at Wildcat and think of Batman the way it's drawn. <laughs> it's a little bit uh, a little bit different. <clears throat> but yeah, there's, there's some good stories in here. There's some good humor. There was a good Plastic Man story that riffs on Casablanca quite a bit, uh, especially the ending where, you know, the woman he saves is actually going away with someone else and they're essentially recreating that classic Casablanca scene sort of thing. So, yeah, it was fun. I mean, my I, I like a good anthology. Uh, 
but there's definitely a variance in quality here. There are stories that are clearly better than others. I will throw out a massive bit of love, though, for the last one, which is the question, uh, which is your traditional question, Rene Montoya, rather than it being... Um, Fix Edge. Fix Edge. Thank you, Keith. Uh, not a surprise. I like this one. I'm a big fan of Ram V. Great writer at the moment, very much on the rise. And Jean-Paul Leon, who I'm a big fan of art-wise oh, as wow. well. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty satisfying all around. I was glad I read it. I enjoyed it. Um, and I'll probably now forget about it for a year. But there is one <laughs> Keith should read, which just brings back a bit of classic Nightwing. Oh, a Nightwing story. Which he might enjoy. Um, plenty of quips, plenty of... A Dick Grayson has Nightwing story, more importantly. It is indeed. And there's some good stuff in here with James Gordon and Barbara. Uh, it explores Batgirl and Nightwing's relationship a little bit as well. So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty satisfying one. Nice. So, yeah, so that is pretty much all she wrote, I believe, from DC. Uh, how about some Marvel honourable mentions? What we got? Yeah, I'll kick us off again. Um, I'm going to go for Doctor Doom, number five. Uh, Christopher Cam- Cantwell on writing. Salvador La Roca doing awesome art. I um, love La Roca's art. Me too, yeah. Um, we've got... the. <laughs> I love I love when you get like a letterer and it's just like Guru EFX. So it's obviously obviously a company or no sorry, a colorist should yeah, I say? Yeah, colorist coloring company. Yeah, yeah um, really interesting. Um, liking what they're doing here with Doom. This sort of continues the story. Obviously, he was um, framed for the what? What's the project? The called? destruction of the Antlion project. Antlion project. Yeah, which was a. Uh, project to uh, using a black hole on the moon in order to solve climate climate change change. Um, so he was framed for that and this sort of continues he while he the the issues have been going on he's been having these very strange sort of visions visions, should should we say and they're obviously very unlike Doctor Doom because it shows a happy life it's sort of Sort of when you were talking about um, books earlier, it certainly seems like they've turned Doctor Doom on its head and like sort of the status quo of Doctor Doom's just completely turned around. So in this one, he's sort of... I mean, the important things about those visions um, are that he's happily married with children and yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a well res- well-respected scientist and, and peace, you know, uh, pusher of peace. Mm-hmm. Pusher of peace, easy for me to say. Which is all, which is yeah. obviously not what Doctor Doom represents yeah, at yeah, all. Maybe it's more yeah. what Reed Richards is, shall we mm, say? Yeah, maybe, maybe something along those lines. But yeah, um, he's he surrendered himself basically, and then hoping to prove his innocence, I believe, and then he sort of um, gets arrested, and then he makes a break for it, and then during this this issue. Um, he's he's made a break for it he is trying to find this woman in his visions uh, a woman named Frisina yes um, who uh, in our reality is uh, like a, a meteorologist a lot very meteorologist who's who's working in the US so he tracks her down while he is being tracked down by the Blue Marvel mm-hmm. and uh, the Fantastic Four's robot Herbie strangely <laughs> Uh, I wanted to point out one great line for you, Keith. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, and he was like, <laughs> and where where do you come? Uh, obviously, Kang and Modoc and all show up. Um, but I like this one. I was like, and when do you come from now, Kang? 
2099. Strange era. At once the future, but somehow dated. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, really good book. I'm loving um, Doctor Doom spends a lot of time sort of in a hoodie and uh, covering his face. Looks a bit like a Mortal Kombat character. Well, I think that's uh, by, by necessity <laughs> rather than, than want. Um, he, his armor was, he lost his armor. The last time we saw Doom in his armor was issue one of this. Mm-hmm. We're now in issue five and the whole time Doom has been disarmored. Yeah, sort of. I was thinking it shares similarities with Daredevil and what you were talking about earlier. I think there's obviously Daredevil does not get his costume, and probably I don't know if he will even in that oh, series. Oh, I you know? think that's coming down the line very I'm shortly. I'm sure it's coming, but um, it's, it's sort of the in this book they're sort of playing with your expectations a lot, and that's that's what I quite like when modern. You know, Marvel books kind of have to do that because have you? Yeah, you've probably seen it all. You know, um, but yeah, this is a, this is a great issue. I've been really enjoying this series, and there's Christopher a nice, Cantwell's a fantastic writer. He really is. There's a nice reveal at the end as well. So. There is that last um, page definitely echoes the last page of X Men Fantastic Four. Though I won't say why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who's up next? I believe uh, this is one for you next, Vicky, that you rather enjoyed, a sojourn into a galaxy far, far away. Well, it wasn't just me. I think it was Keith as well. Um, yeah, this would very much was very close to being my pick of the week. And I read it too. Yes, you and did. I have not. Which I think you should, because it's Darth Vader, um, number one. It's by Greg Pack and Raphael Ayanko. Ayanko. Thank you, Alan. Um, so you really do get all the the worst names to. I really do, don't I? But <laughs> it's the same as the the same as the the Star Wars book that that started recently. Um, it's it's set at that same time point that uh, exact between moment. yeah that 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 time pocket between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Jedi. So yeah. after we've seen the battle between Luke okay. and and Darth Vader, and Darth Vader has told Luke that he's his father, and he's cut his hand off and. Dumped, he's, he's jumped down the tubes and and that. So this this is this starts at the same point as the Star Wars book, but yeah. this is now Vader's point of view from what happens from there. It's quite good. Like, um, obviously going through it, it's obviously Darth Vader being Darth Vader. He's trying to find where Luke was being kept and why um, he hadn't sensed him until now. And it's just you go through it, and there's. There's a droid which um, Roddy, as soon as he met the droid, he just started laughing, <laughs> and it was just it just it was very funny. Yeah. Oh, this is the forensic droid Z six seven. Yeah. So he's trying he's trying to sort of find where Luke was being kept and um, why he was able to sort of be kept hidden for so long. So it's just sort of obviously digging up the past. Essentially, it's it's a sort of detective. Sort of, yeah, it is. I mean, there's there's some great, uh, some great um, ways of using the the medium in here. You know, for example, whenever, whenever we see Vader sort of talking to himself, his inside voice. It's a, there's a nice red background and a lovely sort of black uh, black font. And there's throughout the the story is that's been told. We see Vader sort of flashing back in his mind's eye. And as the story progresses, uh, we see, because uh, Vader, uh, they decide to visit Tatooine, which is the, the place that they know that Lucas come from. Um, and uh, whenever Vader's in Tatooine, he starts seeing 
flashbacks to the Phantom Menace, you know, with his mother whenever he was still Jack Lloyd. And, uh, <laughs> you know, whenever he... You is, know, is there a yippee moment <laughs> at any point? Possibly. Um, and, and flashback to, to Lars and Baru, you know, that, that they lived there, you know, and they, he, they actually visits... You know the the moisture farm. You know Uncle Owen's and Aunt Bruce's moisture farm, where obviously it's been destroyed. You know by the by the, the stormtroopers and and all of that. And there's a whole lot of flashes. You know flashes back to uh, again whenever um, you know the the what do you call the other two movies? Revenge Attack of the, the Clones. Attack the Clones. Revenge of the Smith. Whenever he was whenever Vader was played by that yappy kid, Hayden <laughs> um, Christensen. Hayden Christensen. That's right. And the things that Yoda told him, and the things that Padme told him, and and Padme, you know, dying, and that's, that's that's really, really, really interesting stuff. So he he flashes back a lot to the original trilogy and just ties the whole thing together really, really nicely. Or the, not the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy. Yeah, um, I thought they they did a really fantastic job with that. They really yeah. did. Yeah. And um, I, I really, as Vicky said, I really loved the uh, body cop between Vader and uh, Z six seven. Was that his name? Yeah, that's yeah. six seven. Yeah, the, you know the, the the point. I guess the point of that is that you know this forensic droid is going to be accompanying Vader, you know, along the way. And the first thing that Vader does is is tweak his systems. Yeah, he threatens him, doesn't he? Well, he, <laughs> yeah, he tweaks the system so that Vader can tell him everything. So therefore, you know, Z six seven can kind of be the point of view character. Mm-hmm. But he's tweaked the systems that if he ever reveals anything that he's told, he it will self so- he will auto destruct. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, this is this was a really really strong start to this this book, which is completely understandable because it's Greg Pak, who you know well known for um, Planet Hulk and World War Hulk and you know those sorts of things. So big huge John Wick the comic. Oh yeah, <laughs> so big action packed okay. action packed books, you know, and and tales. And this is this is this is that as well. So very very good indeed. Yeah, it's gorgeous, like a gorgeous looking book too. I have to say, I loved how they. You just feel like you're back in the Star Wars universe, and especially considering they meshed the two trilogies together here, like that's that's no easy feat. Mm. And then there's the there's the the use of shadow to sort of infer emotion on on Vader's mask. You know what I mean? It's uh, there, there's points where, despite the fact his face doesn't change, he still looks a wee bit forlorn or a yeah, wee bit because you know. he has the the whites sort of mm. for eyes shining on him, like the shadows. So yeah, this was uh. This was a a great book. As I say, very very close to being my pick of the pick of the month. It was so good. Pick of the month. Pick of the week. Sorry, <laughs> that's right. We do this weekly now. Don't Big we? talk. <laughs> pick of the month. I know. <clears throat> so Alan, you need to read it. You try and recommend me. So I have much. zero interest. I'm sorry. I I just I'm just not a Star Wars guy. I just I I. I get everything I need about Darth Vader from the movies, and that's enough for me. Uh, I I don't need further. Don't depth. give it a read because it's a Star Wars book. Give it a read because it's really well written. Yeah, I understand that, but just there are times you just gotta you know pick and choose what you're gonna read each week because obviously we have big pull lists and all the rest. Um, but just Star Wars is just something. Just I like it. I don't love it. I I don't need to get more than I get from the movies or the rather awesome Mandalorian TV show. So. I feel the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Hold on a second here. When did I become a lady? <laughs> Another Marvel pick there, Vicky? Yep. So I've got Ant-Man number one and it's by Zed Wills and Dylan Burnett. Yes, some, some normal names that I can read out. <laughs> Zeb being a normal name. <laughs> yeah, well. Zebediah? 
It's one that I can read out. So, Ant-Man... This was fun. Yeah. So, this was... um, Obviously, I've not read Ant-Man since I've been reading comics, and I think this is probably the first one in a while. Um, And it's just something that's quippy, light-hearted, and something that doesn't take itself seriously. And it's just... Sometimes you need that in a comic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, there's been a number of different iterations of Ant Man. <coughs> this is Scott Lang of the movie Ant Man. Uh, he was the second Ant Man, and his daughter, who previously was Stature and is now Stinger. Um, mm-hmm. So they're sort of pairing up. Um, and yeah, it is it is very very light hearted. I guess they they've been making sort of playing playing Scott Lang's Ant Man for for laughs a lot I think maybe since the first movie was re- was released yeah. I would love to see Scott Lang's Ant-Man played seriously I think that would be make a really interesting book but this was good fun yeah like so the art style was quite sort of I don't want to say simple but like there's something like I see a comic cross from me which has so much more detail in it I'm not gonna say what it is until what he can say in a minute but like there's so much more detail in the background whereas this one's quite just sort of simple, a couple of clouds, the moon, Ant-Man, and just sort of, I think, sometimes it's nice to have simple art and not have it. So it's a bit of a retro look to it. Yeah, and it's very vi- vibrant as well, this. Yeah, and I think there was a a line that um, everyone sort of had a chuckle at. There was um, a guy from the paper, and he was like, can I get a picture f- for the Herald? Sure, do you want to grab your real camera? Oh, we mostly do it on our phones now. And I think I think everyone had a good wee chuckle at that because um And then of course he ends up and a man ends up on like page nine or something in beside, the bottom corner. He's like, Come up on Beside Pug Cop too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me a little tiny bit of the sort of tone of friendly neighborhood Spider Man had at times. Yeah, a yeah. wee bit maybe, yeah. You know, it's it's definitely a good book for all ages, but there's a good imagination to it. I mean, there's even, like, one of the villain they end up throwing in as well is, you know, frightening enough, certainly for younger readers, I would say. But but this is definitely a book that would appeal to all ages, I think. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, I have to say. I think it's just a five-issue miniseries, so maybe they're just testing the waters with Ant-Man at the moment and yeah. see how they get on. See if it does so and if people do enjoy it, which I would like to see some more. So not the, less, the lesser-known characters come forward a bit more and sort of actually see them a bit more so and of course we can't go by a week without at least one x-men title being mentioned oh that's true and uh, (laughs) this week it's going to be marauders number seven by jerry dugan uh, stefano caselli and edgar delgado um uh, marauders is a great title it's uh, focuses on uh kate pride who we talked about earlier as part of the uh the x-men fantastic four number one crossover thing uh, but Kit Pride is the leader of the Marauders the Marauders are the seafaring uh, group of X-Men the pirates um, uh, Kit cannot use the gates whatever whatever it is about her she is not able to use the gates so she she travels by boat um, she, she's the Red Queen and she's the as part of the Hellfire Trading Company what they do is they deliver the, the, the medicine that Krakoa makes to uh, to places that don't have gates and also rescue mutant refugees from unfriendly, um, from countries that are unfriendly to Krakoa. Um, so there, there's a there's a there's a, a a story that's been building over the past uh, seven issues. Kate does not feature in this one at all. 
for a reason that will be obvious to you if you read uh, Marauders number six. But we do see the first appearance of Callisto in uh, the uh, the Power of X, House of X, uh, Dawn of X, Jonathan Hickman universe. So that's kind of that's kind of nice. Um, yeah, there's 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 plenty going on. Some great uh, some great fight scenes. A lovely greeting between Callisto and and Storm, um, who uh, knew one and each other knew each other. You know, from Callisto used to lead the Marauders, and Storm eventually became the leader of the Marauders. And <laughs> Callisto effectively greets her by saying "Goddess" and tossing a flick knife <laughs> in her direction. Storm catches it and goes. Morlock, <laughs> so uh, it was. Uh, it was very, very good. Uh, bishops in there. There's there's some really, really good stuff uh, building in this in this book. Uh, Sebastian Shaw is a, a bit of a bastard as always, even if he is supposed to be on the side of the angels. Um, but yeah, most uh, most enjoyable uh, issue of Marauders. Cool. Uh, that sort of brings an end to the uh, Marvel honourable mentions it was obviously a quieter week for indie stuff obviously given the aforementioned shipping problems but there still were able to be a, a couple of standouts I think there was one stellar title for me and that was um, Dark Horse The Butcher of Paris by Stephanie Phillips and Dean Cotts Jason Morty and Troy Petteri. Um this one I think they've just took it up and not even finer notch with this one really enjoyed the first two i think this the third one was very very special indeed um it starts off with uh marcel petois um who obviously served in the first world war he is our butcher of paris basically uh, <laughs> spoiler spoiler alert um, or is he or is he indeed yeah um, but there's a nice conversation. He's in the trenches in uh, France in 1917. And it's sort of, he's sitting there reading um, amongst all these, the rats and the, you know, the foil stench of the trenches and all these people with their guts hanging out. Dead bodies. And, yeah. yeah, it's grim. There's really, there's a really nice dialogue between. He even has a smile on his face. Mm-hmm. So he's, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit Alarm more should have been ringing. Um, but there's a really nice, it's a really nice conversation, a, a really nice uh, sort of ethical and philosophical conversation. I really enjoyed the, uh, there's a conversation he says something about uh, those claiming moral superiority are really the most morally ambiguous. So that's quite, quite interesting for the uh, modern social media Twitter crowd. Um, but yeah, um, sort of the... Patois suspected of being part of the resistance by the Nazis and he's the sort of Nazis believe that he is helping people escape from Paris um, but the civilian authorities are obviously not happy with the Nazis so they don't want to work with them and all this chaos means that um, our butcher of Paris is getting away with pretty much everything um, the art in this book is utterly gorgeous um, as Vicky mentioned and obviously, being set in Paris, it has a real, real cool European vibe to it, which I love. I know it's probably not for everyone because there's a lot of... Um, it can be very scratchy and pointy and the colours can be, you know, a bit sickly and faded. But it's it's definitely a real... There's a real noir tinge to it all. And it's just, just a really great book that I've been loving. And there's sort of the mystery of it all has been really fantastic and the sort of like a cat and mouse game within it and then the the two opposing parties of the nazis 
but the authorities in Paris pulling against each other is his brilliant dynamic. What about you two guys? You've been reading it, Keith and Vicky, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I love the, uh, I love the lead character, uh, the lead, the lead detective, detective. and his yeah. and his son. Uh, they're they're fantastic characters. Um, yeah, I just as you say, I think the backdrop is is, is beautiful. You know, against the back against the, you know, the the Nazis having captured Paris, and now as the Allies approach, they're threatening to to tear it all down. You know, effectively retreat and and take everything with them you know the especially the city of lights you know which is uh, i guess the to some extent the cultural heart of europe you know and so forth and so yeah really really interesting i think i think it'd be one that will be um worth a reread once it's finished as a bit like um uh philadelphia i think Mm -hmm. it'll be worth the sort of reread and sort of you'll be able to understand it that bit better i think sometimes when ones like these sort of reading them once a month you kind of sort of you lose not the plot with it but you sort of lose something with it that you have to go back and then yeah. reread and sort of especially when they're small series like this you can sort of get that sort of feel for it a bit more when you sort of read it all at once as well yeah. I think yeah, there yeah, was especially books that sort of focus like this on atmosphere you know mm. strange skies over East Berlin is another yeah. one you know that'll probably read better as having I suppose the four it's back all to back about the, the quiet moments in it and the intricacies that you're not yeah. familiar with you know so it'll definitely make a fantastic trade that's for sure i really liked how one and two ended just really abruptly but there's at least uh, <laughs> in number three there's a bit of a cliffhanger <laughs> finally yeah. <laughs> uh yeah but you're paris number three and then i think there was one more you wanted to throw a bit of love for Keith. yeah yeah sticking with dark horse in this one and it's number three of a five issue mini series that uh, I haven't really had a chance to, to mention before, so I'm taking the opportunity now, and that is uh, issue three of Kill Whitey Donovan. Um, so this is um, a bit of a Civil War set uh, set book, um, and I guess it, it gives the Civil War a, a much needed dose of uh, much needed dose of feminism. Um, it's a revenge thriller, and uh, as I say, Dark Horse, and it's published in partnership with Twelve Gauge Comics. It's written by screenwriter and novelist uh, Sidney Duncan, uh, with art from illustrator uh, Natalie Barona. Um, it's set in the Civil War. It follows Anna Hoyt, uh, who's a woman who's out to kill, uh, I guess, her brother-in-law, uh, Whitey Donovan, of the title, Kill Whitey Donovan. Uh, he is a man who prompted her sister to commit suicide. Uh, and knowing that she can't do it alone, she strikes a deal with Hattie Virgil, who's one of the slaves owned by the man in question, uh, to help kill Whitey in exchange for her freedom. And it's really interesting. It's, it's you know, it seems like it's the things that, that these two women have to do to get across the country to Atlanta to find this guy to kill him and, you know, who they'll become by the time they get there um, as a result of the things they experience. Um, it's said that Hattie... You know, the, the slave represents the external struggle and Anna represents the internal struggle. Uh, it's just, it's just a, it's a really enjoyable book. I mean, as you know, I like, I like anything that's a wee bit westerny. Um, and uh, this is that. So um, it's three issues in. Uh, I'm glad I picked it up a wee bit late. I picked up the first two issues sort of last month. 
Um, so this is issue three again. It's one that's going to make a really good, a really good trade. I don't suppose you still have issues one and two in stock, do you? We do have one and two actually in stock. I don't think with three, but we definitely have the first couple. If anyone was interested in one, to get started on it. It's it's a genre of comics that it does seem to be a little bit underrepresented. We do get. We do regularly get sort of slightly older readers who come in and are always asking about Western comics and you sort of draw the line nine times out of ten with, uh, we've got some Jonah Hex. <laughs> you know, and then you sort of struggle because it seems to be that it's a genre that's sort of been left behind a little bit. So it's good to see some, some comics coming through on that. And then I think we'd mentioned it earlier as well when we, when we were chatting about Criminal. Looks like there's going to be a cowboy comic coming through from Phillips and Brubaker and stuff. So you never know, it could be a little bit of a, a bit of a revival there. So... Uh, yeah, that will do it for our honourable mentions. Uh, so that was all from the uh, 5th of February. So just as always, we'll like to finish off with the titles we're looking forward to most coming out this new comic book day, which is uh, the 12th. Uh, Roddy, first up. First up, I'm going to go for G.I. Joe number five. So oh, Keith um, has convinced you again to stay on the Yeah, because I'm... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't think that was coming. Um yeah, it's it's a very passionate guy. He can talk every into time, almost anything. That's the thing. See, I've been reading it. Careful now. And I've been <laughs> every time I read it, I'm like, yeah, you know, that was that was okay. And then I was like, do I really like this? And then anytime I talk to Keith about it, he was like, oh, yeah, and this bit and this bit. So his enthusiasm is keeping me going. He, I feel like I want instant gratification with it, you know, and like I want this and this and this but it's obviously a more long form story they're trying to tell um but yeah um i like the arts and i love it is there's something quite cool about seeing the the characters turned on their head you know yeah i so, think that's what i'm enjoying about it um and you knew that was going to be the way of it from the first issue really yeah. you know whenever, <laughs> whenever someone close to all our hearts was suddenly and next <laughs> yeah. next year but uh, yeah i'm i'm liking the there's a lot of there's a lot of new characters as well, balanced in with all the old ones. So it is, yeah, yeah. Cool. What else you got? Looking forward to it. Um, what else have I got? I have got Gwen Stacy, number one, the Marvel title. Um, Still shocks me. <laughs> of all the Why? titles, I would not expect you to have in your pull list. And this went straight on as soon as this was in previews. You, yeah, I thought. Um, I mean, I guess the the story of this. I mean, I don't know much about it, but the story is, you know, that Gwen Stacy was someone before. She was Spider Man's girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is this is this us learning that you're very much a Gwen Stacy guy, not a Mary Jane guy? Because you know, you're not on the Amazing Mary Jane, but you're you're all over Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Well, what can I say, <laughs> blondes? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but looking forward to this one. Christos Engage and Todd Knock on uh, art. Um, yeah. Um, so it is. It's set before. Before. Um, Gwen jumps into Spider-Man's life, obviously. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of father-daughter relationship stuff with um, oh, yeah, Captain, Stacy. Captain Stacy. And I believe um, I believe Harry Osborn's going to be in it. Um, also a lot of um, Norman Osborn too. And mm -hmm. maybe Wilson Fisk. So yeah, I, I think it'll be good because it's... Um, I kind of like... kind of like... It's obviously not alternative history, but I like the fact that Marvel filling some gaps almost. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm excited about. Um, yeah, what? Well, and my last one, going back to classic, classic Roddy. I'm gonna go for Cannabis Number One, which is an indie title published by Scout. Um, this 
looks like fantastic, fantastic sci-fi. Um, we were very lucky. Um, is it Dave Chisholm? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dave Chisholm is the writer and artist, and he was very kind. We got talking to him on Twitter, I think it was, and he sent us the PDF of the first issue, and I thought it was mind-blowing. It was really, really fantastic. Um, yeah, thank thank you for that, Dave. Um, but yeah, if you, I would say it's probably not something you'll be able to pick up yeah, I mean, we we have pre-ordered a few copies of it, so uh, hopefully if this was one that appeals. As Roddy says, I mean, when you've got things from the likes of Scout Comics or Vault Comics or, you know, some of those smaller imprints, it is best to get your pre-orders in as soon as possible because they tend to do low print runs. Then you can only get them from the States and then you've got shipping costs and yeah. all the rest. But we do have a few copies coming in, so if that does appeal to anyone... But yeah, um, it's, um, should be able it just sounds it. cool because it's, um, it's about a, a woman called Helen who wakes up on a lifeless alien planet 300 light years from Earth with no memories beyond the hazy sense of extinction-level urgency to return to Earth. Joined by Arthur, her strange robot companion, she explores this planet to find materials necessary to repair the ship. Um, however, all is not as it seems. Um, Castaway meets Annihilation with a healthy dose of Philip K. Dick. So, yeah, um, if you can, look up the art art previews of it. It looks absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, that's that's me. That's your three. How about yourself, Vicky? So I've got um, Hawkeye Freefall, um, number three. Um, Lovely. I've been quite enjoying it. It's been really enjoying that. Um, Continue on the great work, Matthew Rosenberg, Otto Schmidt. It's just it's just fun to see Clint as well being in a comic as well because I've not read any of the older Hawkeye stuff. I know Alan's got one of the books sitting on the bookshelf and he keeps banging on at me about that one to read as well so no 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 keep reading batman you gotta make your mind up <laughs> um so i've been quite enjoying this one and then my next pick is another marvel which is jessica jones number three obviously it's coming out um every every other week and it's um already a graphic but i didn't realize i quite enjoyed this one i think it's only Four issues or is it five? I think it is five issues in total. I think it's uh, Kelly Thompson uh, writing that one. Uh, but yeah, Blind Spot. It's been very good so far. The first two issues have been great. I never read the original graphic either, so I'm quite enjoying the uh, drip feeding of information. Yeah, it's a very, very good book. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Six issues. So this is one we need to pass to you, Roddy, isn't it? Because uh, mm -hmm. you're sort of not. <laughs> Get it, but we keep talking about it, so we'll um, definitely pass that on to you. Um, I think we can find the first two issues for you. And then finally, it was my pick from last week, but it was delayed by a week. It's Magicians number four. Um, it's just sort of it's fun and it's it's fun and it's dark. Yes, it is, <laughs> it is a bit dark, it's like a darker version of Harry Potter. I've been quite enjoying it as well, actually. Hmm. Um, it's a bit, it rem kind of reminds me of Magic Order. But it's based on teenagers, not adults and stuff. So, it's uh oh, teeny boppers. It's not, pick it's, not, <laughs> it's not teeny boppery. Just say urban magic. You'll have Keith back on board. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's one that um, I think I read the first issue and I was in the shop when I was reading it, and I think I finished reading it going, oh, that's like that's really good. And I think Tommy, one of the Tommies, 
was like went straight up to the pool uh, to the rack and was like picked it up and was like put it on my pool list and <laughs> even though I think he's to the point that he still hasn't read it he's he like he likes how passionate we all get about the sort of stuff and the fact that I was quite quick to say it was really good it was sort of the sort of magic order vibes of it he, he quickly went and got it and hopefully he will read it soon <laughs> <laughs> well it's going to be five issues in total anyway so we might have all five by the time he gets around to it uh, how about yourself Keith? Uh, from me two marvels and an indie um, second issue of The Clock from Image uh, that was that uh, first issue come out uh, last uh, last month yeah. it was the about the the, the, the weaponized uh, cancer Virus. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty dark stuff. It feels um, like it was really long time ago, but it's because this five week January, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. So that was, it was, it, it looked I like it was going, it was going places. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Doctor Strange 3 by Mark Wade. Uh, I really enjoyed the first two of those. I love, I love this tech of, this tech of Mark Wade, this Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme, now, now balancing his life as, as uh, the world's greatest neurosurgeon, having got his hands back, uh, and as the Sorcerer Supreme, and some of the stuff that's going on there. So there's a, a longer story building, a longer story building involving Doctor Druid and uh, someone selling off uh, magical artifacts as weapons and all sorts of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Hickman's uh, X Men number six. X Men's just been fantastic. So um, I think uh, number six focuses on Mystique, and we haven't really had a lot of focus on Mystique, who is one of the Quiet Council of Krakoa since that uh, series started so looking forward to it cool. what about you Alan? cool uh, yeah I mean the three for myself two DC one Marvel uh, Marvel wise Venom 23 continuing the Venom Island storyline brilliant really enjoying the Mark Bagley art on that Donny Cates on writing <laughs> then we've also got uh, Green Lantern season two so Green Lantern's coming back uh, Grant Morrison did a little fill-in series there, Greenlander and Black Stars, uh, with a different artist, but Liam Sharp is back so uh, did, for season two. Did that two. finish? Black Stars, three yeah. Three issues? It must three have issues. completely passed me by. It was, it was fun. Okay. Yeah. It, it had its usual Grant Morrison-y, don't know what's happening first day of the <laughs> pages, and then it just, <laughs> the ball drops, you're like, oh, right, now I see. Uh, sort of. Sort of. But no, I'm looking forward to it, because I really, I really enjoyed the first... Uh, quote season of Greenlander I thought was very very good and then to finish off with you'll be shocked to know there is a Batman title involved have a one shot coming Batman Pennyworth R.I.P. number one this is a one shot sort of exploring the life of Alfred Pennyworth and this is uh, a collaboration on this one so you've got two writers James Tinney in the fourth and Peter J. Tomasi uh, a couple of different artists Eddie Barrows who was a really good Nightwing artist I believe in the new 52 run uh, Aber Ferreira, and it has a great cover there by Lee Weeks as well. So looking forward to uh, digging into that one. So yeah, some good stuff this week, as there is pretty much every week. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't even mention Thor 3. Oh, I just did. Anyway, that will do it for this week. Uh, pleasure as always, guys. Uh, yeah. Here ends the 5th of February. Bye. Nice one. See you later, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Vicky. Keep on winging it. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by Coffee and Heroes, a comic book and coffee shop in Smithfield Market, Belfast. 
You can find us on all the usual social media outlets at Coffee Heroes One on Twitter, at Coffee and Heroes on Instagram, and just search Coffee and Heroes on Facebook. This podcast is also produced in association with Fracture Press, an independent comic label also based in Belfast. You can find Fracture Press on all major social media platforms. If you do like what we do, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and most importantly, spread the word.